Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the latest episode of Loss of Lieutenant. I'm your host, Nick, and this evening I am joined by fellow hosts... Jacob. Val. And we've also got a special guest on tonight's uh, episode. Uh, everyone say hello to the, uh, the, uh, the infamous Mr. Rob Cantrell. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello Mr. Infamous Rob Cantrell. <laughs> yeah, we've got a... Welcome, Robert. Very, very excited to have you. Uh... Now, for those... Um, those watching on on YouTube, Rob does not have a webcam, so we've uh, instead of the, the role of Rob Cantrell will be played by a giant orange block for the uh, for the length of, of the show. But um, those listening in on the podcast will uh, not have to not get to enjoy the um, the orange man, which is which is fine. But uh, yeah, tonight we're going to be having a bit of a chat about, and this is the main reason why why Rog came on as a as a Canberra local. We want to do our uh, sort of road to CanCon episode, so to have a look at the missions. Um, Rob had some involvement with the mission selection, uh, and uh, and what went into that. So not commercial, not one of the not one of the tos are you though, Rob? Is that right? You'll be competing. Correct. Cool. Um, but give us all the insight behind the curtain, um, into the decision making process on, uh, on those missions and, and everything that went into that. And, uh, then we can, can, can go do a deep dive into, into everything that's, that's going on. But, um, we, before we get into that, um, I guess we could go through a bit of an introduction though, Rob, for those who aren't, don't know who you are. Um, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Who, who is Rob? What what is Rob? What why is is Rob? Blasphemy! Oh shit! Um, you've put me on the spot. Uh, so my name is Rob Cantrell. It's it's I'm literally a... the first line in the show notes. Shut up, Nick. I'm being organic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my name is Rob Cantrell. I'm an Infinity player in Canberra, along with a couple of other war games. Um, and I, I'm supposed to say I'm one of Canberra's like community organisers. Uh, I run most of our smaller local events, kind of like every five weeks we'll put something on. Um, but then I also am a bit of a competition player. Uh, I will So like Novacore, for example, um, CanCon previous. Uh, so there's some other locals who will step up basically and changes from year to year, but they're all unequivocally legends. Um, Chris Johnson last year and this year, for example, is doing CanCon. Uh, so I play a bunch of different factions, been playing for probably about four years now. Um, Hackerslam, Toha, Combined Army, uh, some Pan-Oceania, some Dashat company, like, etc. I've got a few different armies that I'll use to proxy whatever. And I run a little YouTube channel. Um, previously, I've been a host on White Noise. Uh, that doesn't mean anything because approximately two-thirds of the world's population has been a host on White Noise. Um, oh, oh. But... <laughs> I, I think I think it, I think of what makes me special is that I was never actually on White Noise, um, as a as as a guest. So that's that's what, that's what sta- that's what that's you what, never never got. Neither on was White I. Noise. No, no, I never. You, I thought you, this is I thought as close. You on Val. No, this is as close we're ever get to being on White Noise. Actually, you know what? I was. I was this is something I want to ask. I know this is not in the show notes or anything like. But Rob, since this is going to be the closest I get to White Noise, could you like run me through the gauntlet or something like? Like please, please! Like I was so I was such a fan, and I know it's not coming back. So you're asking me to come up with a bunch of icebreaker questions on short notice. <laughs> um, if you give me no, like, it would be terrible for you if you if you're willing to put up with five minutes of dead air. Anyway, um, so yeah, from from white noise, um, white noise did a little bit of dabbling with YouTube, which I basically ran on that side, which meant figuring out how to do some YouTube stuff. And I've ended up with my own channel. Um, it's just a little hobby thing. I enjoy making videos. 
Uh, I don't have a webcam, so that'll tell you about the quality, but it's Robert Shepard on YouTube, and I do Infinity content, battle reports, things like FAQ breakdowns, and God help me, the occasional tier list, which Nick has been on to help me That's with. right. We did and the, co we did most... the, um, the collaboration on the tier list, which yep. was loads of fun. Um, that's your most, my most viewed, most most viewed. viewed video. Well, I was actually having a look at some of our download stats uh, the other week. And because basically you posted that on YouTube and then I just took the audio and put it up as an episode um, or a special of the podcast. And like, that's one of, that's like our most downloaded episode of like the past three months or whenever, whenever, like the period that I looked at it, six months, whatever it was. Um, Made that people like but, And I'm like talking like downloads, like double the next, the next one. Right. <laughs> Um, so we've, um, we've got to get, got to get back on that bandwagon. We need, we, that was the first definitive infinity tier list. We need, uh, we need something to happen to, uh, to, to, to be the impetus for a, for a second, um, a second definitive infinity tier list. So we'll see. That was loads of fun. That's... Um, yeah. Anyone who's not checked out the channel, by the way, it's actually, uh, yeah, Rob, like, inside the game is second to none. Like, genuinely, have a have a look. Um, there's uh, You'll learn something. And if you don't, well, you're just not trying. Thank you, Val. No <laughs> trouble. Um, well, great to have you, Rob. Um, where it's the, the type of uh, type of big brain that you can you can bring to the conversation is something that we genuinely do do lack a little bit here on Lost Lieutenant. But um, hey. yeah, that's that was a um, purposeful dig at you directly, Val. Um, <laughs> I think the I, Alpha I think, Zero yeah. of our Infinity. When, I'm like the when, when Val joined the podcast, our, our collective IQ uh, dropped by a third. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Um, but, uh, just a couple of announcements before we jump into, uh, to everything. Uh, first off our November challenge, by the time this goes to air, it's currently the 30th of November, my birthday, by the way, which no one's mentioned yet. Um, so you guys can, can all happy birthday, wish me happy birthday. Thank you. Um, the, uh, the, so the November challenge, uh, the Swiss army bot will have ended by the time this goes to air, uh, and happy to announce our December challenge, which will put all the details up when we post on, on Facebook. But, uh, the, the name of the December challenge is going to, and I'm going to butcher an Alan Rickman impersonation here, but we'll, um, it's going to be called, uh, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, and the idea behind that challenge is that uh, we want you to use booty. Um, and because boot machine, having a machine gun is an option that you can get from, from booty. And also because it's, it's December, it's Christmas time. Um, you delve into Santa's sack of the booty chart and, and see what, see what comes out. Die Hard is of course a Christmas movie. So um, that's, that's how that'll, that'll comes together. Use, use a, 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 profile that's got booty and uh tell us about it write a write up a report send it through to lost lieutenant at gmail.com uh before the end of december um that by the end of december as well that'll also uh come toward come to the end of our, our q4 hobby challenge uh which is an its 14 extras so we want you to be painting a sec deck csu a corsair bashi bazook or a, a Takimoto's um, toolbox bot and um, send us your before and after images of uh, 
of, of that and we'll put them all up in a big gallery and um, yeah, you, you win, win some nice prizes. Um, also a big shout out to all of our Patreons who have, uh, have joined us on the recording this evening, our, our chain of command or, or Cox. Uh, great to have you guys on board, uh, $3 a month. Uh, and you can, you too can, uh, can, can witness the Lost Lieutenant recording live on the secret uh, chain of command discord channel. That, we um, confirm if Rob is our patron or not. No, Robert? Nick had to invite me into the channel because I didn't have access. Yeah. Wow. So, so this is like the effect of the equivalent of like doing the dishes just to be, just to be here. <laughs> the yeah. way you get in. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've got a few, a couple of event announcements before we jump into the whole um, CanCon chat. So uh, did someone want to run me through this first one we've got here? The the road to CanCon that's happening in. Um, in Melbourne. You're, you're a shot Val, you're the West boy. Um, I think Ben's taking care of this one, but yeah, basically I think it's on the seventh, uh, I yep. believe road to Cancon. Um, so seventh it's out in Seabrook. Um, the missions are supplies, unmasking and cryogenics. Cryogenics obviously being very popular at the moment. And obviously those missions are all featuring at Cancon and we'll be discussing later in the show. Uh, two hour rounds. That's pretty harsh, Ben. Um, fitness starts at nine, finishes at six. Registration at https uh, forward slash forward slash. We'll we'll, and... we'll add the we'll add the link to the notes, but you can find all the information on the uh, uh, the Melbourne Infinity Facebook page or on the uh, Victorian Dis Infinity Victoria Discord as well. Um, and the next event announcement, which I think you could probably take care of, Rob, is uh, is CanCon because that's what you're here to talk about. So if you want to just give us a quick rundown from a from an event announcement perspective on on the uh, ins and outs of of CanCon. So CanCon is happening from January 21st to January 23rd at Exhibition Park in Canberra. Um, it's a 300 point, no restriction, no specials, <clears throat> five scenario lineup. We'll be playing Acquisition, Unmasking, Supplies, Supremacy, and Cryogenics. We've got 40 players registered already. Um, you can sign up at cgs.asn.au. From there, look for the CanCon Infinity Nationals tournament. So the you got the 21st to the 23rd, which is the saturday sunday monday which yep. days is the is is the um infinity tournament so the the nationals quote unquote the five-day event is over the first two days um and there's uh, going to be aristea and potentially a narrative event uh, on the 23rd failing that casual play pickup etc cool okay um so a little bit flipped from previous years for anyone who's gone before yeah, it's basically down to, um, if you look at the weekend, do they start CanCon yeah. on a Friday or a Monday? When do we anticipate people are going to want to travel? Uh, in this case, kind of the assumption is people will be coming into Canberra on the Friday afternoon. Um, and some people might want to, like, you know, for reasons of leave, not being able to get time off work, might want to leave town on the Monday. Um, so Saturday and Sunday is for the main event. Yeah. Perfect. Then we've got another one here, uh, CantCon. Uh, can't so if you can't go to CanCon, then come to CantCon. Can't that's con. that's a absolute mouthful. That is that's going to be on Saturday the twenty eighth of January, uh, in Balcatta, Western Australia. Okay, I don't know where that is, but um, way out west they're having a a CantCon or Cant CantCon uh tournament, uh, four rounds, two hour rounds again, three hundred points. Uh, the missions are going to be Battleground, Cutthroat, Superiority, and Unplicked Center. So those are the um, 
direct action missions. Direct action. Four yeah. rounds in one day. But it's direct action, so the missions aren't like hard missions in terms mm-hmm. of like the, how your brain functions. There's not lots of things tacked onto them. So I guess, I mean, in saying that, though, they are still 300 points, but good mm-hmm. luck to them. Four rounds in a day is, is not easy. Um, and for more information, head over to the Western Australian uh, Infinity Facebook page. Um, so that's all our event announcements for the, uh, coming up. We do have another announcement to, uh, push our, uh, which will push the next episode, which I believe might be the final episode for the year, potentially, um, which is going to be our AMA. So ask me anything, ask, or AUA, ask us anything. Uh, and we mean anything. We've had some absolutely amazing questions come through. There's been a, a, some great responses on uh, on the Discord. So we've got a specific channel set up on our Discord for the uh, for the AMA questions. But if you want to shoot something through by email, uh, send us a direct message. We're sort of keeping a big list of all these questions, and uh, we've had some real um, some real solid questions. We've already sort of started putting our brains together to come up with some some decent answers to, and also some real spicy questions coming through as well. So um, hopefully, going to ruffle some feathers on that uh, on that AMA uh, episode. Also, uh, well, I did mention before about our Patreons that that you can. By subscribing, you can listen to us record live. I'm thinking maybe this AMA, just for a bit of fun, we can record it on our normal Discord, like our general Discord channel, so that any any of our audience can can come along and listen. Um, obviously, like that, being able to listen to the live recordings is a special privilege of our of our of our cocks. So I will put the uh, put the vote to them to to see if they'll allow it. But um, I think that could be a bit of fun to to get a good audience along to the AMA and maybe even get some more questions come through live. So if you've got anything, we'll be posting another uh, thing up on all our social channels as well to, uh, to get more people to, to respond to that. But the more the merrier in terms of those questions. Um, And that, that, so that's going to be on the 13th of December. So like two weeks from today sort of thing um, that we'll be recording that one. But that's it. That's it for like I guess the uh, announcements that we needed to to run through. We do have a bit of news to talk about before we get into our main topic. Um, this first one here, the data from the IGL IT, uh, RTS data since to, uh, since N four has dropped. So, does it, do any of you guys know the specifics of where this information came from or what's actually gone into that? Didn't some of the German guys like skim it out of the API for the basically for, for from OBS directly? Wow, that sounds that sounds technical and confusing and therefore impressing impressive to me. Um, I'm not 100 percent on that, but if there's a there's a video um, that's gone up that basically they run through the entire thing, and I think they mentioned where they got it from in there, but it's it's basically all ITS data since N4. Val, did you yeah, you watch that that video? Didn't you, Val? Yeah, I watched. Um, the to be honest, the first half an hour or forty five minutes probably all you need, and then they they really start diving in the weeds. And um, obviously the data is not perfect, so they can't make any too many concrete. Oh, they made some concrete, I guess, calls on it. Um, I know it was interesting. Um, it was awesome in the sense that I don't know for me, the way I saw the from what I saw the data, the game's pretty balanced and it's a pretty good place. And the only the only thing is that the I guess there's the, the amount of tournaments that's been run is significantly less than N three. So 
hopefully um hopefully yeah hopefully covid numbers are covid yeah and COVID. i mean when you say significantly less than n3 does what are you talking about in some pre, in a defined period of time like in the 12 months yeah, well, or something well, the, the, the events, I think the I think the events were what, as per the notes, Kevin's notes, 70 events per month on average in oh, per uh, month. before COVID. Okay. And then after COVID, it was 40 events per month. Right. So a little okay. bit slower. It's pre and post COVID, the recovery is very slow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah and so right. like, I don't, the, I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, even now in Melbourne, we're only just now starting to ramp back up to where we were beforehand. Yeah. I mean, post pre, pre COVID, we were, we were consistently getting one event happening every single month without fail, Probably, right? Yeah. In different locations. We had a whole bunch of different people who were organizing them. Mm. Um, and and only only now are we getting back to that stage. So the fact that, that that's kind of dropped by 40%, um, I'm sure it's increasing though, right? Even even setting aside how difficult it is to rebuild community momentum, and people are obviously really yeah, trying at that. Yeah. It's worth noting that, like, we talk about post COVID, the pandemic is not actually over. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't come on. I couldn't come on the last recording because I had COVID. Yeah, the, <laughs> we in Australia are pretty, are pretty lucky. I can imagine some places are still yeah. having post lockdown as the terminology. Yeah, and the the other thing is that we at least in melbourne didn't deal with it too much but i'm sure there's some places that lost their club or their shop that they used to play in because of covid Um, apart from event running a lot of the stuff that's really interesting in that video which i assume you guys will put a link to um is there's a bunch so only 50 percent of players on average actually submit lists when they're registering for an ITS event you should do that more by the way because it's how Corvus Belly skims data to balance the game <clears throat> but that's still a lot of lists and they were able to basically put together some kind of like they use some kind of business intelligence tool to put it all into like malleable mm-hmm. graphs but they skimmed a bunch of really interesting performance data and you can see like the video will will go through a lot of it but in general, win rates like win loss, expected result rates in Infinity are pretty tight. Um, but there are there are some like super interesting bits and pieces in that video. Surprise of no one because you're counting all of N4, right? Combined is a big overperformer. It's got the highest overall expected win rate, expected result, very powerful faction. Um more than Aleph? In... I thought Aleph was leading. <clears throat> Aleph, um, so combined have a much, much higher player count. Um, and something like oh, one third of something like one third of or half of all players playing combined army end up in the top third of events. Um, yeah, okay. Aleph have some very very good players and are also a very good faction. That's vanilla mm-hmm. Aleph. Um, one of the most interesting bits for me was on average, Panoceania, vanilla Panoceania, is an underperforming faction. But when you then, cut to the top yeah, third yeah. of players, so players who already place in the top third of events. Panoceania, vanilla Panoceania becomes a high-performing faction, yeah, which yeah. is just like that is super Beautiful. interesting. Exactly. Well, the thing is, no one, no one denies Infinity is a game of decision-making skill. It's not. It's not just profile. It doesn't just come down to profiles. I mean, pa- panel are still the sort of boys in blue. So when you jump into the game, they're probably the ones that people gravitate towards a little more. I mean, they are technically better at the main method of combat in the what it, um, what it tells me is um and like this is going to be a surprise to no one right vanilla panoceania is playing panoceania like by default it doesn't have access to link name team so it'll have slightly less high watermark firepower but when you actually like if you're experienced with panoceania and you start 
actually learning how to leverage all of the best pieces across all of the best factions mm -hmm. and all of the best sectorals. Like you can do some really interesting things with vanilla pano, yep. despite the fact that like you're if you just look at it in a vacuum, you're like, well, I'm the gunfighting faction. Why would I not have links? So super yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I um, mean, what you... even in, even in vanilla, I mean, um, I mean, this is just off the top of my head, but the cutter and the um, was it the Ulan, the yeah. one that gets camo. Ulan's probably that... not the best tag in the game, but it's no, but it's just it's just the, the ability to use those. To be honest, really unique sort of things um, that they have access to. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always kind of a little scared of an auto sergeant or a bulleteer, a bulleteer peacemaker, the ones that get the ox flamethrower bots. Um, uh, peacemaker. Peacemaker. Yeah. Leveraging Jones probably also a real skill test as well, yeah. because Panoshiani doesn't have a lot of veteran and they don't really have good chain of command. Um, she is super powerful, but she's also subject to he oblivion. Is. Like you can just kill her in the DZ effectively. So if you can if you can protect if you're if you're a strong enough player to protect Joan, the faction's high mm -hmm. watermark is way higher. Absolutely, no, Joan's fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, I just, just so we don't spend too much time. The only other thing I wanted to mention is um, top five missions are unmasking and acquisition frontline firefight and supplies. Those were the most popular missions. Any mm -hmm. what, any thoughts on that, you guys? interesting that unmasking is in there because it's a little complex but they're all mm. good scenarios i'm not shocked to see any of them yeah i mean i i couldn't tell you why i like them but they're probably the ones that if i saw an event that had those um missions I'd be like, oh yeah those are good fun missions yeah and also worth uh, noting that those are events popularity in ITS, those are all missions that are very easy to TO for. No objective room, only three objectives maximum. Uh, um, material, like you need HVTs for unmasking, but that's player requirement, right? You can put them in an ITS event really easily. Without without, yeah, without having, having to do too to... much work as a TO. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Three of what them about are the... at CanCon, and there's a reason Yeah, that's for that. what I was, I was <laughs> Yeah, say. there's yeah, a reason yeah. for that, that's right. Yeah, but yeah, it's like, I can imagine putting in Panic Room or Biotech Vol leads to a lot of mistakes and a lot of people getting angry. Well, even just like um, Panic Room, you got to source an objective room, right? Yeah. It's oh, yeah, sure. Event. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, what about faction popularity? You guys want to touch on that? Just, just briefly. Where are we? Yeah. yeah. ISS least popular. Yes, yes. I'm, 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 I'm still a hipster. ISS is the least popular. Like, is that? Yeah, okay, I'm sure. One of the least popular. Yeah. So, is it? Are these in the list here? Is that in order that we've written it? Like. As in combined army is the most popular no, no, faction, but followed by military orders, or one army was the most popular. I know that, but the rest I don't know the order. Yeah, um, I mean the I, least I, popular really don't have much of a surprise. Although, except for Pano, I'm surprised that one hit that. Vanilla Pano. Oh, yeah, but yeah, it's still. So those are all either dis discontinued or niche pick. Yeah, that's yes, fair. Like that. that's fair. Again, nothing, no, no real surprises here, right? Yeah. Um, Combined army, so, you see them all the time. Actually, maybe I think military orders is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I know they have had like new releases and things, but blow up, yeah, um, a bit of a think, pretty think, much it. I think they did. I think they are new, but they did have like a big burst when people started try, starting to figure them out. They're great. They're awesome. Yep. Um, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, we could, we could probably move on from from that. Um, you can always come back. I, to IGL, IGL data, but yeah, no, definitely mm. go out and watch that. Uh, watch that video. I started watching um, 
but didn't get through the whole thing. I mean, the video itself is like over two hours long, right? Important um, things to note, it's the IGL guys that did the video and they are legends, but my understanding is that it is ITS, not IGL data. Right. Yeah. Okay, sure. So it's the yeah, yeah, so. ITS data, but it's done, was put together by the people. Who by the Infinity IGL. Oh, right. guys. Gotcha. Yep, yep. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you think, well, sorry, there's a bit of news that we haven't mentioned. Uh, there's a new podcast on the scene. Um, yeah. Um, Ash from Google and Miniature Gaming. Ash from, from GMG has uh, started an Infinity podcast called Tactical Awareness. Um, I listened to their f- uh, pilot episode. I had a, I enjoyed it. I think they have uh, they have good chemistry, good, um, good banter. They um, basically went through... Like Ash is the by far the most experienced of the three people on there. Um, one of the other guys has got um, a bit of experience. And the other guy right. seems real, real fresh. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that works well uh, in terms of the the dynamic of the conversation because if you've got someone who's a part of the conversation you're having who is a new player, that means that when you are explaining concepts to the audience as part of your conversation, you have that constant reminder that you need to explain this at a level that everyone is going to be able to, to consume. Because if you've got that new player sitting there with you and they're like, I have no idea what the fuck you just said. Um, then that's the reminder for you to, to kind of clear it up a bit. So, um, good, good luck to them. I'm sure. Um, I mean, Ash has got a massive following already, so I'm sure they're 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 smashing it in terms of the the numbers they're getting. Uh, they they talked about the FAQ though, which we can talk about a little bit as well. I don't. This is not going to be an FAQ episode. We don't have to go into the weeds in the FAQ um, because every man and his dog has fucking put some content out already about the FAQ. I reckon there's h- half a dozen YouTube videos and 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 audio out there about the FAQ at least, already. And at least one very excited man on a Facebook video. Oh, that was me. Yeah, I put something yeah. out. Yeah, I did a little um a little uh video a facebook live video oh, yeah. i had to do it twice because the first time i did it um i recorded for like eight minutes posted it started listening back and there was no audio um and That's like sad. i had there was people watching it live while i was doing it right no one said like i had an audience while i was doing that and no one said anything so <laughs> so it's just people You're staying there was like like half a dozen people just sitting there watching they, me. They, um, were ju- they were just sitting there going, look at this idiot. He's going to put this one of those online. People and it's going to be live. fucking nothing. Sorry, as so you're people, sorry go I assumed, yep. I, had a problem. I, had, I assumed I had a problem with my Facebook sound. I'm like, why the um, fuck isn't this working? What's going on with my Facebook? No. So then I, I re-recorded right. it. And the next, the second time I think was better than the first one because I'd had a trial run at it the first time anyway. But what I was going to mention about Ash's podcast is that they talk about one of the rules in the FAQ and they, they get one section of it very wrong and talk about that section incorrectly for like a good half an hour. Right. Sorry, um, this shit ass. Don't listen to them. Listen to us. <laughs> um, which, which is a shame. I, I reached out to Ash and like pointed out to him and he made it clear that I was not the first person to point that out. <laughs> um, but sure, um, I, being on your, I have on one of his videos on YouTube been like, that's not how that rule works. I've been one of those fucking. Oh, you've been people. one of those people. Yeah. So he's probably um, used to it at this point. You know what's funny though? You know how how we were all um, fanboying over Ash listening to us and uh, you know sending us some nice feedback and you know signing up as a Patreon and all that, and we were like, oh Ash, you know. But you know what? This wasn't him being a fan. This was market research. That's all it was. Christ We've Ralph. all been duped. 
I'm telling you, I'm so <laughs> angry know. right now. We've all had the wool pulled over our eyes where Ash has come in, listened to our content, and he's like, you know what? I can do better than this. So, anyway, <laughs> I, I'm upset. Someone from, from the Eastern yeah. uh, the Soviet bloc, I should have had my suspicions about those Americans. Yeah. This uh, Val's opinions are it's not Canadian. the opinions of no, Lost Lieutenant yeah. as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> but back back uh, on being excited for the um, FAQ, good, you got good. You had good reason to be excited. There's quite a few things that they um, dropped in that FAQ. I love it, and uh, like after yeah. after I so the FAQ came out because we were all in our little chat group. Rob had just joined in so we could prep for this episode, and the FAQ came out right that same night after we did our catch-up and um i was like i was like just frantically reading the whole thing and then did my facebook thing and then i was like oh we should we should get some content out and i messaged a message like tagged rob and i was like rob do you want to do a, a collab on a video and wow. you were like i already posted a video an hour ago <laughs> can we give rob um while we have rob the supercomputer on here can we give him some um um, uh, Rob, if you want to do a bit of a monologue to, I guess, plug your Infinity, uh, uh, the FAQ video that you've you, done, because you... I think that was really great. And also just maybe touch on some, like, FAQ um, uh, highlights or the, I guess, most relevant changes in your mind. Because obviously, like Nick said, we're not going to cover the FAQ in detail, but it'd be worth covering things that you think are, I guess, most notable and most worth of note, just to put you on the spot. Sure. So uh, if people want to go to, again, my YouTube channel is just Robert Shepard on Infinity, on um, on YouTube, sorry. And I've done a, it's about a 30 minute breakdown of the FAQ. Uh, credit to at least two different people who reached out to me ahead of that. And I had a good blarney with a uh, good argument about whether or not this was a good, uh, a good or a bad um, FAQ. Because there are some, there are some divided opinions, although the community at large, I think is super happy with it. Um, the The broad theme of the FAQ basically is so firstly, it's the first FAQ we've actually got developers' notes. Um, and by God, I'm glad that they've done that. Um, the It's not always something you necessarily want. Like peeking behind the curtain um, from a design perspective is something that is slightly dangerous to actually let players do. But Infinity is a game where, I think I've said a few times to different people over the course of the last couple of weeks, the rules don't work if you treat them like a malevolent genie interpreting a wish. They are, they are like a set of tools to let two players work together to figure out how to play a game on the, the, the miniatures war game with the most diverse, weirdest, broadest set of tables you can possibly imagine, just for example. Um, the game is complex and difficult, um, and developer notes that are like, basically say, subtly, hey, this might not be 100% perfect wording, but this is what we want you to do. This is this is what we're is, trying to achieve with this rule. So this is the goal. Yeah. If, if the way you interpret it is counter to to what we're trying to do, know that you are wrong. So just just to take one example, and it isn't even the biggest change that was made in the FAQ. They introduced some wording that basically is intended to um, resolve the issue that has existed sort of since the last FAQ with declaring skills from locations you haven't reached in an order yet. Yeah. Um, and the they made, there was like a big change in the previous FAQs around order declaration and resolution that was intended to kind of like make the game function at the edge cases a little better, allow for things like declaring ballistic skill attack against a model that might be around to come out the, come around the corner, um, which is obviously something that they wanted you to be able to do. But the the really, really technical outcome of that was that you could do things like 
place a mine, and then in your next order, declare shoot at someone who you couldn't see, and if they declared a response, the mine would detonate, and then depending on what they did, you could decide whether to even come around the corner or not, which is like, I have I have this threshold for rules bullshit, and is it is, if if explaining it to a new player makes them look at me like I have betrayed them when I introduce them to the game, it is too bullshit. And that's one of those things that's just kind of too bullshit. And in their develop, like the rule, the rule actually is not 100% in terms of covering that as an interaction. Um, for example, strictly speaking, you don't need to be in base contact with an enemy to declare close combat attack. But they are super clear in their developer notes about just not declaring skills from locations you haven't reached yet. So yeah. we as the players can be like, okay, we know how it's supposed to work. Um, other really big changes are easily the most contentious is the change to the jump rules. Broadly, very well received. Everyone has wanted you to be able to vault while jumping because of how super jump and climb, well, super jump especially, interacted with parapets. Um, any parapet on any building above like an inch of height basically fucked with super jump. Um, and being able to vault while jumping now really helps. Why is it contentious? Two reasons. Um, firstly, how exactly, vaulting is contentious. Um, most players will understand what you mean, and if you put a piece of terrain in front of a player, they will know how to engage with it. But that is not the same as being able to really technically describe what vaulting is all the time, because again, Infinity has like infinitely variable tables. Um, players will know how to deal with it. The other thing that they let you do is measure a jump or a climb from any point of your silhouette as the starting point for the movement, provided you end the measurement at the bottom front of your silhouette as normal, which effectively allows every jump and every climb up, not down, but up, to add the height of the miniature to that jump, which the, means that... Sorry, Nick? Yeah, I was going to say that, like, the sorry to interrupt, but, like, mm. the fact that this means you can jump further when you jump up than you can when you jump down yes. is, is, like it's 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 an odd um result of this of this ruling and mm, um, cool. i don't know what oh, you cool. could do to like fix it but um but yeah if you if you use your maximum distance to jump up somewhere you can't then use another jump to get back to the place you started yep correct um which is i have yet to see that matter hugely in play but there are some people who have made tables that were really clearly designed for basically what was possible before the FAQ. And so those tables are now all kind of like, well, shit, things can get places I didn't expect them to. Um, overall, though, I think it's super positive. There's a bunch of other stuff. Those are some of the big ones. Uh, if you'd like to see half an hour of this conversation, go to Robert Shepard at YouTube. Uh, motorcycles, uh, that's Kevin's oh, yeah. favorite change, is uh, the motorcycle change. Kev, Kevin Kev, can't Kev make it, it, unfortunately, but he's a, he's, a real, he's a real proponent of it. I, 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 un I understand what Kevin's object ob objection. objection is to uh, the, the, the rules oh. change because it's like, it's it's so niche. It's like this one like rule that <laughs> like doesn't have any sort of other equivalent in anything else, but... But, I infin like but Infinity is full it, it, of those kind of things, right? There's loads of things I mean, that don't look like anything else. I I like the bikes, really and I always wished that I always wished that I could use them. Like I could use more than just. Or I felt like using more than just your Jimbo, and now I can. Now uh, all those people that bought a Knight of Montessa have probably one of the scarier uh, units that they can put on the battlefield. Coom Riders. Now I don't want to ever meet bloody Coom Rider. Um, 
I think I think it's a good change. Um, I understand it's a little bit more complicated than it used to be, or, um, but you know, it's I good. Mean, we were we were playing we were playing with those bike rules throughout all of the previous season. Everyone got used to it, and now it's back to that. Yeah. Um, especially in context of the re the fact that they did a rebalance, there are a huge number of very viable bikes now. Um, mm. But I think my favorite thing about this change is that you you almost can't fuck up balancing motorcycles because at the end of the day they are silhouette four and can't go pro yeah so no matter no matter I, how broken i 100 share that um that yeah. thought rob that they're they, they're self-limiting because of their size yeah um yeah. you just they, can't put that many in a deployment zone yeah and you could you could also uh, i suppose you also gotta remember that they that every time they jump it, like you might think oh it's a you know like Mon night of montessa for instance oh it's a way of delivering you know this mimetism guy but remember you gotta remember that they lose it as soon as they jump off the bike so like the best I'm thing a big the proponent of the game i think the... it's fully balanced like genuinely i'm not even taking the piss but i think montessa the nana montessa is so good now it's like very balanced if yeah. you know what i mean i mean it it, it was it was a, it was it's now there's a whole bunch of models that i think a lot of people for the most part probably ignored because of the lack of cover um i now Super exciting to take. And it's a good thing. Recently, um, law keepers in O twelve are super good without being over the top. Um, the what do you call it? The the robot motorcycle in Nomads. The Zonautica. Like that's a piece that has looked cool as hell forever, mm. but has just like not quite worked from a play perspective. Yeah, it, Little points that, that one... down. Like the, the Zonautica has like teetered on the edge of greatness for a long yep. time like it was just not usable um and right. now with the cover i can imagine it's amazing just um yep. just to correct what you were saying before jacob about the knight of montessa dismounted he still has mimetism oh really okay yeah. no he's fucking nuts <laughs> so. yeah no that thing's fucking so good Shit. um yeah so no uh, that's 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 a good change i think um I, uh, what else was there that was worth I mean, that that, oh, all, that, all, that almost makes the Knight of Montessa almost like a um, Pano Sujan. He's pretty. He's, he's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty like he's like he slows down, but he gets smaller if he jumps off. He's really. He's yeah. really good. Um. Actually, just quick, quick on, on motorbikes. If you dismount your motorbike, can they blow up your motorbike? Yep. Oh, sweet. Where are the stats for the motorbikes? Do we uh, on the here? Infinity Wiki? If you look for a motorcycle, it should have. I think it's Armor Zero with one structure. Yeah. Okay, so I, I could so I could have shot a bunch of your bikes. Me and Jacob had a game recently, and um, anyway, um, you can you can do bike. things like block doors to armory rooms with dismounted yeah. motorcycles. Hey, there you go. That's a more machine player for I think, you. I think I think, <laughs> I think I think I even did that once. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, there was, um, yeah, okay. Well, do we want to? Sorry, I'm just looking at the notes again. Uh, aside from that, that's probably. Oh, oh, did you want to talk okay. about your game a little bit at all? Or um, the only thing I'll mention about our game is the fact that in line with the current um, challenge that we're running to use those utility bots, my game was Jacob. Uh, in our game, uh, my game with Jacob. Sorry, I should say. Um, a, my utility bot ended up uh, playing in clutch in turn three, where it went and uncovered his Vasily, who is now his lieutenant because of chain of command, and killed him. 
because he used the sensor ability to uncover him. So I went hunting for his lieutenant using um, a utility bot, and that was pretty cool. Um, Jacob, do you have anything to add about that game? And were you like, uh, were you, yeah, sorry, I mean, Valley, sorry, were you using his that extra order that you were getting? Were you using it like? Oh, oh, all of them. He, all of them. No, so, so, the, the he discover all that shit. Because he, he's got he tactical is, awareness, right? Yeah, he, so he used tactical awareness. Um, I also, the, the fact that I had sensor, so I knew I was going to be able to pull him out of camo because Vasily's obviously in camo. I should probably mention that, not obviously, but yeah, so Vasily was in, in camo. So he obviously had a very well-protected lieutenant in the sense that he was camo. He wasn't well-protected in the sense that he had uh, template weapons or arrow presence around him. He just relied on the camouflage to keep Vasily uh, hidden. Uh, but I'm like, okay, well, the one thing that I can definitely get there is my utility bot, and one thing that's definitely going to discover him is the utility bot because it's on 19s. So anyway, um, I got there, and I got the assassination off, and that put Jacob lost lieutenant for the last turn. In acquisition, it was. So it made it hard, hard for him to challenge the middle objectives or the objectives. So that was, I thought that was a pretty good use of the utility bot. Yeah, it was, I mean, nothing super special happened in the game. I was trying to learn um, tech, like like nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah, exactly. So just sort of trying to uh, learn tech, especially after our, um, uh, our video on them. I've been wanting to play them for a while. And um, I think the one thing we... <laughs> That Val mentioned, and I came away is I probably I didn't I didn't play enough of a um, shell game. The the camo shell game. Although you did fall for that decoy that you kept thinking wasn't mine. Did Sansu also missed seven shots on fourteens? That was fucked. That was four orders <laughs> in a row. He hit once. That was that was a sniper version. That was fucking rude. Um, so, what, the other thing, I was... sniper sniper Sun Tzu underperforming should be a surprise to no one, right? No, but that's just like that's one in a thousand chance for him to. I spent so the first three orders, I rolled six dice. He on fourteens with two dice. I missed every single shot, missed so fifteen and up were the rolls. And then on the on the fourth order, I hit once, and then Jake made his armor save, and I was that was my turn one. That was half my turn one. I'm like motherfucker. That was really that was pretty bad luck. Sorry, I've just been joined by my two daughters who are coming to say goodnight. So, Matt, hey. Maddie and Isabel, you can say goodnight to everyone. Say bye. Goodnight. Bye. Goodnight. Okay. Okay. Bye, girls. Off we go. Off we go. Oh, did you want to touch on your spec op event in camera? Yeah, sure. That's what, so, I, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about, Rob. Um, yeah, you just go ahead. You talk about it. Yep. Uh, so end of year, um, end of year mission in Canberra. Um, we try and run events about every five weeks and with holidays and everything coming up. No one was going to be available, so we did a little uh, one-day, three-round event with the special was um, any model is a spec ops. So the special rules were um, 16 experience spec ops budget. Any model except for a tag or a character, because I'm not insane, can be upgraded as if they were a spec ops. Um, you can't give bioimmunity to a, you can't increase the BTS. You can't so you can't spend experience to both give bioimmunity and increase BTS because. Fuck just having everything be bioimmunity BTS 12. Um, <laughs> and the cost of increasing a stat was whatever it would cost to increase that spec ops to that stat. So for example, we had one player who took an anathematic and then using the Nexus spec op as a template, upgraded the Nexus spec op, spent five experience to upgrade it to BS 14. So their anathematic could be BS 14. Um, right. We had... Wait, so, so, so does that mean the cost increase to your model would be the ex like the points would be equivalent to the XP. So you know, just, so just if if the one. if the um 
if I'm hearing this correctly, like the spec ops might be BS 11, right? But, and your the base model you're using might be BS 13, right? Instead of spending the points oh, that go, okay. you're not spending points for plus one BS, you're spending points for plus three BS to go from 11 to 15 or 14. Or right, more. I see. Not, so, so not yeah, just right. plus okay. one. Yeah, and that was purely a balancing, purely a balancing constraint. But we had we had some absolute doozies. Um, we had so the winner of the like, the winner of the best meme spec ops um, was someone got a Vostok to um, Fizz fourteen explosive cross combat weapon CC forty. What? Which Wait. is not easy to do. Um, had, wait, CC forty. CC forty. So the base template. Whoever was you are, you're a genius. Oh, I was. I, when I saw that, I just, I fucking cracked up. I had a game. Against oh, right. Him. This, this, this is using rem races. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a game against him, and he literally was like, "Didn't roll dice. I crit." I'm like, yeah, you, you do. <laughs> um. So it's 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 a. Uh, you can get. Turns out moderators got hugely huge CC, and then you can stack a rem race on top of that. Martial arts maximum upgrades. It was a thing of beauty. Um. The other best one was. Uh, submitted in in absent in, in absentia. Um, I, I sucks that this guy couldn't make it because this was the best. It was um, using a Thorakidi as a template. I want to say ballistic skill fourteen, shotgun, mine layer, and armor four to a net rod, which deploys in the deployment phase, so can't be AROed against. Places its mine when it successfully combat jumps next to your link team. What? Um, which fuck? is just like <laughs> oh, just beautiful. Man. So, or is it like is there any is there a rule that says net rods can't do things or no? It's uh, yeah, well, normally, because, normally a net rod would have ballistic zero, skill zero. Oh, a net rod would normally have no ballistic skill score and no gun. Right. Um. So but if it did okay. have a gun, <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> if someone yeah, if someone gave the router a cannon, um. <laughs> But yeah, I was I was super boring because I only got to play one game and I wanted to play some O12, so I gave a Gamma Trooper, Mimetism 6, Marksmanship, and an MSV1. <laughs> uh, Which is pretty cooked, as you yeah, might imagine. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, Far out. Uh, ultimately, it kept rolling 14s when it needed 17s to hit, so I had downgraded it in terms of actual performance, but... Um, <laughs> that was a... That was a, it was a, anyway, cracking, cracking little event, very small, end of year. We had like eight players, including uh, one person who had hoped could come, but then their wife got super hungover um, and uh, had left her car in some other suburbs, so they were out. But uh, yeah, no, just good, good little event. Um, I got to play some O12, tried out the new bike bot, tried out the uh, the new um, law keepers. Not new, the tried out law keepers. Really liked them. Um, had a lot of fun with it. The trans Did you try the transformer bot? Is that what I used it? I, the the Aldi brand Sujan. Um, I used it, but it didn't get to do anything because I was too busy running around with um, uh, um, lawkeepers. Oh, lawkeepers, Yeah, but um, very creative um uh, idea for an event. Actually, it's really good. Yeah, what? not balanced, but surprisingly yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does sound like a, yeah. it sound like a bit of fun, right? Um, but uh, in hopefully not playing for sheep stations when you're doing that sort of that sort of jank. Cool. Well, um, we might have a quick five minute break so we can grab a drink before we jump into the main topic, which we brought dragged you in here for Rob, which is to talk uh, in in detail and at length about. Uh, the upcoming CanCon event. So um, bear with us, listeners. Let me just pause this. Let me see. 
Okay, welcome back, listeners. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, we're back again with uh, with Rob. Now we've sort of covered on all the intro stuff we wanted to talk about beforehand, so we can start to have a good chat about CanCon twenty twenty three. Very exciting. Um, who out of the people that are on the cast is going to CanCon? Jacob, are you going? I'm still thinking about it. I really want to. Jacob's a solid um, commit. Uh, but to be honest, that's just me keeping keeping up with what I usually do. And uh, what about you, Val? Full thumbs up. Be there with bells on. Amazing. Probably. You you've gotten you've sort of wrangled up quite a bit of a party bus from what I hear. No, I don't think it's going to happen. But we tried. We tried. We wanted to do a party. We wanted to do a bus with like 14 people, but it's just so hard with accommodation and all the rest of it and people's uh, budgets and times when they come want to come up and come back. So That would have been I, magical. Yeah, yeah. It was really hard to uh, organise. So. And we've only got one person with a light, rigid licence as well. So um, oh, It'd be one person doing the driving the whole way. That's rough. Um, yeah, fuck him. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, no, obviously, it's yeah, Taji boy would have had to do, do a lot of driving. So, anyway, uh, we'll see. We'll definitely be up there. Just how we get up there, we'll, we'll yet to be determined. No worries. Um, so yeah, as we mentioned before, when we're doing our uh, announcements, CanCon is over like the Australia Day long weekend, sort of. Um, five missions: acquisition, unmasking, supplies, supremacy cryogenetics is that the order did i get that order right as well the order is um oh jesus i'm reading your thing now and i'm not yeah, sure no, acquisition see. unmasking I'm pretty, supplies I'm sure that's it. supremacy and cryogenics okay yeah yeah um <laughs> and uh so first off rob if you want to just give us a bit of an overview from your perspective into the the thought process behind picking those missions, what you wanted to achieve or what the team wanted to achieve um, and uh, and what your what your overall thoughts are to begin with. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I mentioned before, CanCon is usually run kind of by committee. Um, there's a lot of responsibilities and different people will pick up different things. It's, it's by folks in Canberra um, that we then sort of like, you know, latch onto the side of CGS and, and run it there in the years where it's run at CanCon. We did it we did it off venue for last year because of COVID, but um, so I'm, I'm basically, it's functionally, it's a big group chat um, or a couple of big group chats sort of sorting out things like, are we going to do an Aristea event, a narrative, how are we going to structure stuff, uh, which I am in as a contributor to, but sort of cognizant of the fact that I am one, a player and two, kind of a slightly visible profile player. Um, I was an observer of, but not major contributor to, uh, the, the scenario selection process, pretty much because I knew I was going to play, so I didn't want to seriously influence the, um, the selection process. But yeah. I can talk about people, how those conversations. It's it's, fu it's funny, right? People get a bit. It can sort of trigger people a little bit if someone who's in getting involved with the organisation of the event is also someone who wants to compete. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's the perception of conflict of interest is very important to manage. That's right. Um, 
and that was one of the reasons what, what, as I, when I was organizing or helping organize Burn City Brawl, I was sort of 50-50 as to whether or not I wanted, I was going to play or, or not. Um, I was kind of leaning towards not playing anyway, but then, um, yeah, there was a few people asked whether or not I was going to be playing as, as one of the organizers because that would give me an unfair advantage. I'm like, would it though? But anyway. You can um, have a moment was originally angling actually to like assistant to at cancon oh. because cancon is stressful as fuck and i could have done i would have been very happy to have a year of just seeing everyone um and and not actually waving the flag but i got told to fuck off and play um, absolutely so fuck that. that's, I, that's I, I intend to beat you robert so i want you amongst it Thank is this the much. year this is the year val all right <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> I have loved every game that we have played. Yeah, um, so, anyway, in terms of the so in terms of the process, basically, it was a conversation between committee members um, around what it is that we want, um, what is practical, what can we do, what functions. So, there was a bunch of back and forth. Uh, one of the committee members made up like spreadsheets, spreadsheets of this is what every scenario needs. This is how we get kind of like a balance or as, as much of a balance as possible of specialist mixes so that was a consideration right um uh how can we organize things do we include is it feasible to include um objective room missions probably not one of the things that was spoken about was cryogenics do we play it and where does it go and kind of the decision was this is one of the one of the points put forward it's the flagpole mission of um, this of season 14. It's the new mission. Looks like a fair bit of development has gone into it. It is going to be popular because it's not like totally oddball. It's not like a biotech force scenario. Um, and so particularly since CanCon happens in January, months after the release of the season, we felt like we were kind of safe putting cryogenics as scenario five. It's the like it's the scenario for the season and people will be good enough at it by January that we can make it the fifth scenario without getting some kind of like weird oddball result out of the finals because someone didn't know how the scoring worked. Although I would note we're kind of taking a bit of a risk there because months into the season, people are just now figuring out how the scoring in cryogenics works. But we are getting there. That's right, we're clear up everything tonight. Yeah, I do, I do find it um, a bit odd to put it last though, <laughs> considering that's the second day where everyone's like half of the people are plastered and very tired. Well, it's it's the finals. Um, functionally, it's the final round, and it's the scenario for the season. So it's it's a capstone of the event. Um, otherwise, how we structured things was that there was basically a bunch of different scenario structures were pr proposed, um, and this was the point at which I entered the conversation pretty much just as kind of like a deciding vote. There was some conversation. There was about seven different scenarios that were being considered looking to down select to five um, and propose an order. Uh, and we, you will learn something about how ITO, based on sort of how I cast my vote at this point in the process, which is that um, the first three days, if you, if you look at how objectives are set up, they are set up for minimum possible tournament organizer effort. Um, so I, I'm, I will back all of the scenario selections. I think they're well selected. But acquisition as the intro scenario, it's relatively straightforward. It's, an, it's one to ease into the event. It's not too complicated. Unmasking is more complex. Um, round two of the event but critically uses the exact same objective setup. So you don't have to do anything as the TO to adjust the objectives on the table. And then round three is supplies, which has to be round three of the um, for, of the first day because it's the scenario where players will pick up and fuck around with your objectives. 
Um, so at the end of supplies, players will have thrown all of the objectives everywhere. You finish the day, you come up, at, come in and set up for supremacy. Right, um, sorry, so because in supplies you actually take, the, you, have to you physically open pick it, up you, the objectives, you take right? it off the table, yep. sure. Um, and then in, so round four, set up before the set before the day or the night before, go around and put four objectives on every scenario, on every table, and then cryogenics shares the exact same objective setup as supremacy, but also is the scenario where players will fuck with and remove your objective. So cute, little, cute, cute, cute little thing about cryogenics is because you remove the uh, objective, they start cleaning up halfway through the game for you. It does not. Otherwise, things that were a consideration. So, so we've, I would say the the committee has accidentally settled on a couple of themes. I think throughout the event that we'll talk about, um, but one of basically the biggest um, the biggest objectives overall was trying to have kind of like. A specialist focus without it just being a play hackers objective um because that's one of the biggest challenges i think for organizing particularly five round events in its 14 uh, and its 13 and its 12 is that like every scenario it feels like is a hacker scenario hacker specialist bonus um and that significantly affects what factions are easy to play and what factions are hard to play and the kind of meta and etc. Um, because that bonus so is everything. That bonus is one. It's so significant, and two, hackers are fucking excellent in ITS in in N four. Hackers yeah. don't hackers don't need a fucking mission bonus on top of being amazing models to use. Um, but it's the, it's it's easily the most common type of specialist bonus. So we were just trying to find a way to have. You can't avoid having hackers, and I have no problem with a mission mix that encourages hackers. But I, you know, we kind of wanted it to be not just five scenarios that say take a hacker. Um, oh, so yeah. we've ended up with what? kind of like two and a half. And this is what yeah. um, Head Chimes commented on the on the Patreon chat on the saying that um, I think we need to de-emphasize hacking slightly in mission selection uh, and meta. So yep, yeah, and that was conscious in this case. Yeah, no, that, that's very good. And I think uh, earlier, I believe um, Scott. And got an idea. Uh, asked um, if the Maggie is viable for these missions. Rob, what would you say to that? Is the Maggie Guard viable? Yes. Two yeah. of these missions have paramedic or doctor bonuses um, and benefit from a mobile paramedic or doctor. So the fact that your tag is a 6-4 paramedic with a 6-4 tag with a paramedic inside means that she's probably a surprisingly viable choice in both supplies and especially cryogenics. Not bad. Now, my quick question to you, to you and the TOs, I guess, when setting up the table. Now, obviously, acquisition uh, has 16-inch deployment, but uh, the supplies and uh, amassing have 12. Will you guys take that into consideration in terms of deployment, that extra four inches, or not? Uh, one really? of the committee members is a, a um, has opinions about exclusion zones. Um, so we did end up with only one exclusion zone. There's one exclusion zone and one 16-inch deployment zone scenario. Um, those were secondary considerations, basically. Yeah, fair enough. Um, no, it's good. Awesome. Uh, entirely by accident, but something that I am super happy with is that not one of those five scenarios has decompression zones. <laughs> well, actually, what what special rules do which they have? Ones, for which ones are the decompression zones again? They're those circular thing? templates that are right. saturation and difficult terrain. Yeah, no, that's that's a good call. Good if you're facing the Kenny um, and Link teams. Yeah, but they, um, they, 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 they are... They are annoying. That either I, I feel like every play, um, single person hates them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've played. I think I've played a table where 
there's no choice in where you put the decompression zones because they like they have to lie flat on the table and every single time i've played a game it's been like there are four spots on this map that can fit a, <coughs> that can fit one and so we will be filling those four spots i think i've played more than one game of a decompression zone scenario where both players agreed to just put every decompression zone in the same place where it wouldn't affect the terrain <laughs> that's pretty funny i mean that's an that's an option but uh yeah. Oh, actually, you know where decompression zone should be played. Rob, do you? Remember, I don't know if you recall. We played on TTS that mission, that that um table with the like space, the spaceship table with the the, the crates flying in. That was though. In that case, those were what I would call diegetic decompression zones oh, and part of the table. Love that table. Totally, love that. totally fine. But anyway, um. So yeah, that was the selection process. Um. We'll probably talk about this basically, but. Um, some running themes theme through those scenarios is that both paramedics and hackers, and in one case engineers, like a mix of a mix of specialists are valuable. Um, four of the I want to say four of the five scenarios have a special trooper, either a bashi bazooka or a sector, and have some kind of a bonus for terrain zero g and or super jump. Um, those weren't super intentional, but I'm. I think it's interesting that those have come through as themes. So you can kind of like, you can consistently list build for the fact that you might have an extra irregular order in your list most of the time, or and and or like terrain is going to be a, a particularly relevant skill, even if there's no terrain on the tables, no like zero G terrain on the tables, mm. um, which because it's not particularly common to actually have labeled terrain in particularly physical events. I think um, no. going back to that point about like some have hackers, some have paramedics, others have, as of others have engineers, having that broad spectrum of uh, the types of specialists that you might want to bring without coattailing it into including something like uh, highly classified or countermeasures, which, which kind of forces you to do that. Yeah, we don't have any missions incentivized chain of command, but if I remember correctly, the only mission that allows chain of command bonuses is power pack and fuck power pack. Um, oh... So oh. power pack is a scenario that is totally good if you set a table up specifically for it, and no one at an event, five round event, ever yeah. sets a table up for power pack. Exactly. Uh, you got an echo in the chat, by the way, Rob. Um, Head chime is literally thinking was saying exactly the same thing you were saying. That's pretty funny. About stacking the Reminds. templates on top of each other. Yeah, stacking the templates was actually hilarious. Yeah, uh, who would have thought? Um, so, yeah. Cool. Any other any other initial thoughts then? I guess on terms of what about from you other guys from Val or, or Jacob about what your thoughts are on the on the missions from just like a high level. Um, to me, the only thing that stands out is obviously uh, I think they're all very tried and tested missions. Uh, as we saw from the stats as well earlier, they're some of the more popular missions. Um. I don't think any of them are exactly risque, but I guess that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I guess they're all. Cryogenics pretty... is the cryogenics is the yeah. riskiest. Cry cryogenics yeah, is, is the wild yeah. card. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, else like, I'm going to have to admit here, I've not actually played it yet, so I'm not going to be able to give much input onto tactics it's... and whatnot for cryogenics. Yeah. But oh, cry I'm not even saying it right. Is it cryogenics or cryogenetics? Cryogenics. Oh, okay. Cryogenics. Okay. Like cryogenic storage. Oh, well, I spoke. Oh, we actually do have cryogenics. You know, it's because I wrote it's that. Cryogenics. Yeah. Um, uh, I just the only other thing I have to add is that I fucking hate our marking. 
struggle with that mission. I, I don't. I like it. I think it's fun. As a as a as a Aleph player, I love it just because it gives a chance for an Azura to run around and do the entire mission by itself. Um, I, I I mean, oh, look, when I saw this, I thought the first thing I thought is is that it's nice to see a mission lineup where you can take as every single troop in both of your lists could be a specialist if you really wanted to, and it would not disadvantage you in the slightest. Whereas the the number of times where you'll see firefight. Or one of the ones, the one, the one of the ones where you uh, get points for killing a specialist, yep. um, <clears throat> or having a specialist die, or whatever. Um, it's nice to see that, like, it, this one is purely about like an you acquisition, like acquisition supremacy, you know, holding points or something like that. All right? This <clears throat> it takes away that almost some i mean this is coming from me i, I know other people that are different the almost four split of here's my specialists list and here's my not specialists list I, um, no, yeah, I'll, I I'll, I'll agree with that i i like firefight as a mission and i, I like firefight right. as a mission in like three round events um but the fact that it's got that specific claw it like and i like the modern design of it where there's lots of classifieds but the yeah. fact that firefight has that scoring for killing specialists um, means that you can't you can't just be like this list has a bunch of specialists. Um, I I am actually there are so many factions I'm thinking about for this event, and one of oh. them is O12 because you can write an O12 list that is just like randomly ten specialists or something because mm. psychops and law keepers, um, etc. Like there are so many models that are just randomly specialist operatives in addition to whatever else they do, and you could not play that list slash archetype. If firefight was in the list in the in the lineup, unless you were pretty confident in your ability to win firefight, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I'm I'm I and okay. The thing with the thing with firefight is in the case of that list, for the most part, that specialist that the specialist operative doesn't almost doesn't help you at all. I think there's what maybe it's one, a negative there's skill. Maybe, it does. There's maybe firefight... two classifieds that you could do. No, there's none. In firefight, being a specialist operative is a disadvantage. Isn't there one way if you, it, it, you can like it's it's just have a no? It's not have a specialist, is it? No. Isn't there one to be in combat with a specialist? No. Uh... Yeah, yeah. You doing doing classifieds on enemy specialists, and I'm not even sure about oh, that actually. Okay. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's right, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Special, um, specialist operatives can't actually achieve classified objectives. They can just push yeah, buttons. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah, they um, have like unless they're like elite or whatever something else yeah but then they, then you could just take them if they had one a non-specialist operative um profile and you get the same shit yeah. um and like honestly i'd say it's a bit of personal commentary not this hasn't not this has not all been personal commentary um the fact i think the the fact that i am genuinely considering like there are about seven factions that i am seriously considering taking um whereas normally for an event like if you look at nova core for example it took five minutes with the mission lineup at Nova Core to go, I'm playing combined because it's hacker, 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 hacker. I know how the metagame is going to be and I want to win that metagame. Um, yeah. And in this... Did you win that metagame, Rob? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> didn't <laughs> so, lose yeah. either. Um, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, but 
uh, if anyone would like to see uh, battle reports from the Nova Core event featuring some fairly impressive hacking play, go to Robert Shepard at YouTube. Um, anyway, exactly. like the fact that the fact that you can play like you could play a doctor centric um, faction like Hackerslam or to an extent Toha and genuinely have specialist advantage in two of the five missions and two of the important ones is like oh this is this is new like the fact that an the fact that a motorized 112 in ariadna is now like in cryogenics and supplies oh my god the service will so pace, right um, yeah i mean i mean i mean all of all of the bikes in ariadna for supplies and cryogenics are yep. really good they're because they're all really cheap really quick yeah so i'm, smoke, I'm sitting here like armed I'm sitting here looking at O12, Yuching, Toha combined, Ariadna, Nomads, um, and Hack Islam as like factions that I would genuinely like to play at CanCon, yeah. and which I think I can play at CanCon. And that's like, that is the longest list of factions I have ever considered for an event. Nice. I mean, we'll talk, um, we'll do, I mean, but I, mean, I really talk? like that, right? I really like the fact that, yeah. that it's not, it's not, you're not hemmed in. To your mm. on your choices because of the, because of the mission and it opens it up to to the the regular players as well right you if you are a player that only has one faction or one or two factions you don't have to look at this mission list and say oh shit i can't i can't achieve this because I mean, of, is, because is, of the is, army that i play is there any faction that doesn't have i says like three par like three paramedics ISS has a Dakini paramedic and a Sofate. That's it. But a Dakini so, paramedic is great for this. It costs nothing and said, it's super quick. Bit of commentary on ITS 14. The only reason I'm considering so this is a specialist heavy, relatively specialist heavy, heavy mission mix. I would not normally consider Yuching for that, except that in this season I have a tactical awareness forward observer for 16 points. Um, so I can chuck a. Uh, uh, Weibing or whatever it's called in combat group two and have it kind of like take some of the stress off of my primary combat group while it runs around and it runs around in group two and pushes buttons in supremacy and like picks up one box in supplies um so that my primary combat group can get by with fewer specialists so the season as well kind of does enable that to an extent yeah i'm um, just quickly on the play breakdown i see 32 interstate players eight cambrarians yep at time of writing Beautiful. Uh, let's hopefully get those numbers up. So if you haven't signed up, please do. Uh, it'd be great to see everyone there again. Uh, do we know the Red K Cup's coming? Or did we yes, get Red K Cup will be at CanCon. That's exciting. Please represent your state. Um, so that'll be awesome. For those who aren't familiar with what the Red K Cup is, um, it's a tradition that began at NovaCore. It is a, a plaque um, that is now a traveling trophy that goes to... It's the the top three placements from each state, so you don't need a large attendance to win the cup. The top three placements from each state have their combined objective and tournament points. Basically, basically the best performance from amongst your top three players of every state is the winner of the Red K Cup for that event. Um, so ACT won it at the first Nova Corps, New South Wales won it at the second Nova Corps. From the look of the Melbourne contingent coming up, maybe Victoria is in with a shot this CanCon. Um, don't, don't do this to us, Rob. You're going to hurt our feelings so bad. Mate, You're gonna build like, us up, and then we're gonna <laughs> look. I mean, I don't want to talk. I don't want to trash talk my my adopted my adopted state, but uh, like you look at those names, it's it's fucking it's it's quantity over quality <laughs> there, right? Oh, the fuck, you son of a bitch! <laughs> this says the man not even coming. Exactly. Oh, there were, there were a few. Right. There were enough notable names in there for me to go. Yeah, okay, that's a good. 
That's a good. That's it, a good one. Considering that's what right. I heard, I considering what no, I no, heard man, about, man, I'm not, I'm not good at this game, right? The last time I played in, I came dead last, which has not happened in a long time. So, um, so I've, I've forgotten how to play Infinity. So don't, don't, don't listen to me at all. I, 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 reckon... I, I fully expect Val to be sabotaged by his friends, given what they were trying to do to him at uh, Burn City Brawl, which just get him absolutely hammered. Uh, slash, like, um, slash potentially trafficked, if I remember. Traffic. No, uh, uh, to be fair, um, BCB, that game against you when I lost, I was, I was like, oh, my God, I hate losing the first game in an event. It really takes all the steam out of you. So, I said um, I wouldn't know. Oh, he's, oh, 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 he's gonna hang at me. I brought the worst out of it in Rob. You, 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 I'm, gonna, you, I'm gonna fucking you, regret saying that. I'm gonna oh, regret that. You, you keep up with that. You keep up with that, um, Rob. And uh, Val's gonna come and Tanya Harding. Oh, uh, I'm gonna. That's. I've just signed my own death warrant. I don't. <laughs> I don't be silly, mate. Don't I'm be losing ground one. Okay. Well, don't be silly. Back yourself. Well, we could probably jump into a bit of a deep dive into these missions now. Um, and and started talking about them more specifically uh, to to each one and what what we want to do and what how we how we're going to achieve victory round round by round. So um, we can get that tempo. <laughs> sure. Um, so first off, uh, round one acquisition. I'm happy to talk through this one. The uh, just to sort of set the scene for the for the table of what it's going to look like. You've got a 16 inch deployment zone, right? Which is uh, which is big. In the center is a tech coffin, and then equally spaced sideways from that are communication antennas. Now, to score points, at the end of the game, have an activated communications antenna, so the ones on the sides, two objective points for each activated communications antenna. At the end of the game, control the communications, uh, control a communications antenna, one objective point for each controlled antenna and at the end of the game control the tech coffin which is three objective points now to con there's also one classified objective now it says control in some of those things as well so activate for the uh antennas means you have to get a specialist to push the button right with a whip roll for uh to control something you need to be touching it at the end of the game not in a marker state and your uh your opponent has to not be touching it uh, so that's the basically how we how you win to to get your points where where your ten come from on that one. Um, special special rules here: the uh, your control specialist troops, uh, engineer and hacking bonuses. So engineers and hackers get plus three to their whip rolls uh, and can also make two two rolls. So that's big. You've also got a corsair. So in this scenario, you get a uh, bashy bazook for free, which is cool. The uh, the new uh, the new ITS season rule for the for the Corsair. Uh, we've got low gravity zones as well, so the zone of operation is low gravity. Movement restrictions are not applied. However, all troopers uh, possessing terrain zero G or terrain total automatically gain super jump. Uh, and uh, the mission does end in retreat as well. So, uh, what are our what are our thoughts on round one acquisition? Who wants to go first? Are you? Are you? I, have you muted yourself, Val? Uh, yeah, sorry. I was going to say yes. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to get in there real quick, saying the Corsair Specialist Troop, just so everyone's aware. Good to know. Yeah, I think all of the all of Actually, the free troopers that get added, so Corsairs and Sectets, um, I think they're all specialists, right? 
admittedly not very high whip. But like in a but pinch, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice, a nice addition to just. Yes, yep. Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll lead with some commentary if you want. Go for it. Is uh, so acquisition. Acquisition is a scenario that is very, very balanced in my mind between going first and going second. Um, so it's not a. It's even though it's all end of game scoring, it's not by any means a snap pick one way or the other. Um, firstly, just as a general bit of philosophy. Um, end of round scoring, like supremacy, I consider if you can, going second is good. Um, but end of game scoring is not the same. Um, if your opponent has three rounds to step on your neck, then you are not necessarily inherently advantaged by going second. And on top of that, in acquisition, 16-inch deployment zones makes attacking easier. Um, you as the defensive player will probably, if you're going second, you will probably use the depth of your deployment zone, or at least you will if you're, if you're being canny. Um, but your opponent gets a four-inch head start on any attack that they want to make on you that is originating from the deployment zone, um, which means that if you want to go first and play very aggressively in the scenario, you can. You're just committing to kicking your opponent's teeth in um, without putting them in retreat before the end of the game. Um, yeah, you, you, so you, yeah, so you're pretty much committing to <clears throat> to and the not quite, but having a good alpha strike, right? You wanna you wanna immediately sort of put your opponent on the back foot and have them have to try and climb their way out of their deployment zone. Um, yeah, no, that's actually a perfect summary, Rob. Um, especially the distinction between supremacy and acquisition, the difference in the scoring or quarter control and supremacy and acquisition. Yeah, round, round, round scoring versus game scoring, right? Yeah, that's huge. You're right. And by the way, Kevin, welcome to the cast. Yeah, Kevin, oh, what? hey, oh. Good, good evening, Kev. Sorry, I'm just um, just 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 lurking in the background. Don't want don't want to interrupt. Don't want to don't oh, want to uh, don't want to you know upset the tempo of the uh, conversation. Don't <laughs> you start? Um, I can feel that Val's on the precipice <laughs> of going onto a tempo rant. I, I no, hope no, I'm no, coming no. through okay. I'm just in the middle of the desert. You are actually bone, so you're actually coming on great. Um, Rob, how yeah. how do you prefer to play this? Do you prefer to play this uh, by kicking someone's teeth in and then pushing buttons, or uh, it depends almost entirely on the army that I'm playing against. So if I am playing against an army, I think I can survive an attack from and then it, sorry army or player, then I will be more likely to pick deployment. Um, but so classic example, right? My opponent is playing nomads. I don't care what whip their lieutenant is, but I know that they are probably going to have counterintelligence, puppet bots, um, you know, the ability to bracket my deployment zone, guided missile strikes, and at least one really big gun. Nomads are one of the best go first factions in the game, and they just natively have all of those tools. I don't particularly want nomads to go first if I can avoid it. Um, kind of similarly, Shazvastii, common access to counterintelligence and the scariest impersonator. Um, so if I can, I'll avoid letting Sebastian go first. It's that kind of thing. It's more in unmasking because first and second is balanced. I'll pick if I win the role. I'll pick or at least prefer based on kind of how badly I think my opponent can kick my teeth in. And if I don't think they can, like if I'm playing against a Varuna player, and I don't look over at their tray and see maximum availability Knights of Montessa, um, then I'm probably going to pick deployment because Varuna classically don't love trying to make close assaults in the first turn. They don't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, right. so, so, so you're you're more likely to decide like first turn, second turn, depending on your opponent or the actual armor you're playing. 
Or is there a bit um, of a combination of my Depending on my what my opponent is playing in acquisition. Right. It's how okay. much of an alpha can they deliver. Yeah, no, that's yeah, fair that's... enough. Um, uh, um, as, as, as far as, uh, I suppose, list building, um, <clears throat> what do we typically... Uh, like look for it actually because you've got to control these objectives at the very least what do you look for to like hold your that middle objective i'd, I'd yeah. like to make a really quick point um just before you do get into that about what rob was saying about first and second is balanced i would largely agree but i do think that this season has thrown a spanner in the works with the takamoto's um sensor bot being really easy to just slot in um, a common tactic for me in acquisition was a couple of hidden deployment specialists on either of the two buttons and pray that the, my opponent doesn't bring sensor, which often didn't happen. Um, now you can't rely on that tra strategy because you're quite likely to come up against somebody who has a sensor bot and who will just censor one of the buttons and potentially ruin your, um, your like, last turn play to get the win. Because the outside boxes are worth two points and if you're also um, controlling them, it's an extra point. So it's like three-point swing per box, uh, which is going to be quite a, quite, a, quite a swing on the last turn. Yeah, I was going to say the mission redesign in this, where it used to be the, the middle one used to be worth more than the uh, outer two. Now they're all basically in line, because if you push the button Has and that, control I, it... I don't think that's changed. No, uh, not from last season, but from the times past. Oh, I see. Yeah, I saw, um, that was... Like I think it does lead to potentially, you know, going first can be stronger if your uh, original tactic, you know, back in previous seasons was to do what I just said with hidden deployment um, specialists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, but now because, yeah, you, you don't want to just focus on the middle one, right? So they're all worth quite a lot. Uh, just on Jacob, what you were saying, how how would you take the, I guess, control of them? In like our game, one of the things I really focused on is denying you the ability to deploy any camera markers near them by putting my camera marker near uh, one of the objectives. Um, that's a viable strategy, I think. You can um, you can deploy a camera marker near a different camera marker. No. You just can't. can't you, you just can't put. You just can't put a mine near a camera marker. Uh, no, Speci it's specifically, it specifically applies to it, it, it applies to mines. You can only mines. If you've got a camera marker and I've got a camera marker, I can put it right next to him. What I cannot Actually, do deployable is put it, applies, is, so it applies to crazy calls as well. Uh, I, I can't. I am not allowed to, to place a deployable in the with its trigger with a enemy camo inside of its trigger area. That's specifically for mine. So is it a deployable thing or is it? A, I thought it was a camo thing. No, it's deployable. It's deployable. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, no, I've been playing that wrong. That's it. Well, you forfeit. That's why. That's why I win. That's why. That's why people <laughs> listen to the podcast, Val. You just you learn things, you know. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, okay. So, um, but yeah, I guess. I guess, well, there you go. Then uh, having those four deploying specialists uh, within one order of touching the button is a very viable strat. Yeah, but I mean, if you, you could do that, and you might accidentally put your camera marker right next to an enemy mine, and then you done goofed, right? But too bad. Mm. And there's yeah, not yeah, if they deploy the mine yeah. the game either. If you've got a six inch deployment zone, and you've got to hold on for three turns, you know. 
because the buttons flip. That's something we haven't mentioned. The buttons flip. So if the two outer ones, they're worth two points each, but the thing no, is... They're, well, they're, well, no, they're worth... Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're worth two points each. Yeah, you're right. They're yeah. two points each, and the flip. So if you push one, Kevin, early, and then I push it later on, it becomes mine. So... That's yeah, right. That's quite a contention there. Uh, quite a fight for it, which is cool. Just while we're talking about mine layers in this scenario, it is obviously a scenario where the humble Libertos shines because it can deploy yeah. on the 24-inch line. Um, Ooh, yeah. But there is kind of generally in acquisition, there's a little bit of play and counterplay. It's an open, like, mine layers are always going to be in some, like, useful in some capacity. Um, they set the line of skirmish kind of a little earlier forward. They force your opponent to attack with certain assets rather than others. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I am a big proponent of at least a little bit of midfield in, I think, actually, probably most of, but especially supplies and acquisition. But in acquisition in particular, both players have a bashy bazooka, which means both players have a disposable irregular trooper that brings its mm. own hollow echoes, which if you mm. want to send orders, is very, very good at just clearing out a minefield. Shit, um, that's literally an just incredibly good point. You've got you you've you've got like well, if they've got two mine layers, you've essentially got two free dudes to throw at the mine. And like orders, you've got to move out of your DZ, but well, no, well, but you can you can you can deploy, can't you deploy the the bashy and hollow? Yeah, but it starts in the deployment zone, so you have to. Sorry, move. Uh, sorry. Can't you can't you drop the walk on when you it. when you parachute? Can you parachute with the hollow? Only parachute. You can't drop and off the off the table edge, so it's the same distance. You're easier just walking off of the out of the deployment zone. That's a good point. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, coming okay, from well, the coming from the edge of the table as opposed to coming from your deployment zone. That's that's an interesting point. One question I was going to ask was, what are our opinions on the Corsair in this mission? I was going to say it's kind of not amazing because. Having 16-inch deployment zones vastly reduces the amount of space he's got to walk in from the side. But that point that you've just made, Rob, is 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 fantastic. In that, if your opponent has littered the midfield with deployables, then the your your corsair is just going to walk through and waste those mines. Oh yeah. Um, I had actually a game of acquisition recently where my opponent um, took the bashy bazook, and I think on turn. Might have been turn three, I think. He walked him, walked on one of the flanks, um, you know, out of line of fire, and then just spent one order to move and then place an EM mine. Um, and then be like, and then he went, I think then he went into suppressive fire and then re-hollowed. And I'm like, ah, how do I get to that button now safely? And it really wasn't easy when you've got suppressing fire bashy with a EM mine that's kind of watching the, watching the area. Um, yeah, that was quite a good play. Very cool. So, back to back to what I was asking asking before. What 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 makes uh, a, a model, a profile, uh, whatever something you want to take with the idea that they're going to be the one? Like, if you have the, I suppose, the unfortunate luck of going first, um, to be the one that's going to hold the tech coffin. Oh, nice. That's a good question. Because I, because I, I think for the buttons, I think for the buttons, the main thing is pressing them. It's two points to press them, one to hold them. So you, you want to press the buttons and holding them. I, I feel like it's generally going to be left up, probably to the specialist that ended up pressing the button itself. But the middle one just has to be held. Um, um so... I think at the very minimum, courage. You want courage. Yeah. Um, if you can have smoke, uh, smoke bombs, uh, smoke grenades, I think that's useful as well. 
smoke, smoke you got to be real careful with smoke because the, the temptation is to just drop it at your feet. Exactly. But if you do that, you then end up. I mean, Fighting unless you, yeah, yeah, right. You either close combat or if they've got stealth, they just walk up and cancel your like yeah. holding of the coffin. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's and then they, 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 they might go and you know hit the two buttons, take them instead because you've got a softer piece there. Um, and just cancel out that two points in the middle and just decide that that's the way they want to win the game. Yeah. Good rule of thumb is that having something that you trust to be tough enough to su mm -hmm. survive a turn with the enemy attacking it is what you want, especially going after the central objective. So that might be a tag in suppressive fire. It might actually be a model with a nano screen. Um, is, a, is a particularly useful piece of equipment in I acquisition. I suppose you can't get behind it at that point. Or you don't get an advantage for getting behind it. Or out of cover. Uh, what a, yeah, but well, that's what I'm saying is like you get behind it, like because if you're well, I mean, against if you can get the, behind him and if, shoot him out of his line of fire, then that's definitely an advantage. But you're not going to catch him out of cover like, specifically. What I'm saying is well, some, no, sometimes, but, but if you're controlling, if you're controlling the middle objective, you've got a somewhat to come up cover. Well, it depends on whether you're using a token or a piece of terrain for the objective. And if you're using a token. Um, then you don't have cover because it's not it's not Correct. a three D piece of terrain. Is, so, is, I mean, is there a, is there a plan at CanCon to have physical pieces on all the tables? Or yeah, I think that's a that's a must. It will sure. depend on the table. Um, uh, so we have basically a, for tables that don't have their own objectives, we have a treasure trove functionally of term tokens, but they are two dimensional. Um, which means that they don't provide cover. Now you'll know at the beginning of the game, you'll be able to look and see this objective, I'm not going to claim cover from those. But if someone has 3D objectives, then they'll be cover providing. I mean, always, I've, that's a, oh, that's contentious for me. I've, I think I've always, this machine I've always played them as S3. Yeah, well, that's not yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they, no, if they I, are if they are a token, I know what, you mean. I know what you mean, Jacob. Yeah. It, it, it's, I, I've always done that. I've always done that because... In the I, I think in, in the in the rules for the in, in the rules for the oh sorry in the ITS rules they talk about using the um like the physical tokens from the ITS rules are super clear in terms of um but you you are right you are right if it's, yeah if it's a if it's a token or a terrain piece yeah. um, no, I actually like correct. that dichotomy because it allows it'll it changes it very subtly changes the balance um if you are playing on a piece of terrain on a table where there are three-dimensional objectives, it actually is like, it's materially likely to make me be more comfortable going first because I know I won't be parking models with their ass in the open. Um, if I'm if I'm the first player, I go, keep my opponent's teeth out, take cover, hunker down. If I can't take cover and hunker down, um, then it changes whether I, I want to go first or second. I think that's good. I think it's too Surely, much of a swing on the, no, on the initiative role then for me. Because if you can't claim cover, going first in uh, acquisition is not—that's really disadvantage. That's—I think that's a no. But, we, 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 but Rob, Rob just talked about the fact that going first with a sixteen-inch deployment means you get to kick the teeth in. Then you, you know, like but you're you, forced you're to play it one way. You're forced to play it one way. You can't possibly then play the scenario either, because you can you can go first and play it a different way, where you you take board control and you slowly creep up on the objectives, and then you basically minimize how much damage you take uh, throughout the game, and then turn three, you overwhelm the enemy with the amount of presence you have on the tokens uh, by having cover, and meaning that when they firefight you in that turn three, they don't have enough orders to get all the guys off the tokens and push their guys onto them, 
four, but if you don't have the ability to claim cover, you're forced to play it one way, which is alpha striking your opponent. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna solve I'm gonna solve this problem for you, Val. Take three objectives with you when you go to Van when you go to Gancon. And if you get a table, oh, if you I, get a table I, with tokens, put your own objectives I was, I, down. I was gonna, I was gonna say yeah, no because well, it's, it's, it depends it's on the table. I, I think Val will have to, if he wants that, he's gonna have to buy those new packs that are coming out and provide it to the CanCon. As a That's personal right. observation, I would not be surprised if. So this is something that I do. If I am making a table where we are using two D objectives, you will almost always see me place pertinent cover. Near that terrain. Yeah, I was, I was which, just about, I was just about to ask, like in that, ca in that case, would you put like a bit of scatter around? You'd hope. Yeah. Um. And again, it's that's comes down to how important is the um the role to pick table sides, like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. No, I yeah, mean, I, look, I don't know. I'm just a bit worried that that's putting too much emphasis on that initial role. It's interesting. If, that's, if there's no, if there's I, no, I, I, I like, no I like the way you. I, I think. I honestly go, like the way Rob's thought about it. I think that's yeah. an interesting way sort of thinking th about it. Yeah, going back to w one of Rob's original points around first versus second, right? It while you're scoring well, if you're going, or you, you're scoring well, quote unquote, if you're going second because you get those final actions. The 16-inch deployment really helps uh, your alpha strike for, for going first. But not only that, low gravity's low gravity area also makes mm. some of your pieces potentially a lot more maneuverable by giving them giving things with terrain zero G or terrain total super jump. And with the way that jump works now, making meaning that you're you're vaulting while you're jumping, you're using your silhouette height as well. Um, that that alpha strike on on those terrain total pieces with super jump is going to be is going to be scary just as a bit of commentary as well like i personally think that going first in n4 is very strong and if a scenario and a table combine to make going first a little less advantageous i think that's fine okay mm. yeah cool yeah uh, any, no, any, any other but, any yeah. other final thoughts before we move on from uh from acquisition one um, so this is a Corsair scenario along with a bunch of others which give you sectats. Um, so when you're list building for CanCon, think about the fact that a lot of the time you're going to have one more irregular than you plan for. Most factions can capitalize on like a certain number of irregulars in a list. Usually it'll be like three. If you've got four command tokens, no other use for them, you can kind of play three irregulars relatively easily. You will have yeah. an extra irregular in many CanCon missions, and this is one of them. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. That's, a, that's, a very, that's a very good point because... You can't like just because it's an irregular. It's not like it can't. It can't. It's not like it can't be converted like a normal irregular can to be yeah. used on someone else as well. If you in a pinch, so. And I mean, just in, just in that mind layer um, scenario, just because it's an extra, it's not like don't just throw it away. Right, it has uses. I remember uh, in when we played uh, the Kenfinity tournament, it didn't happen, but I almost killed um, Tariq with my Bashi. Bit of a question for people: Which Bashi profile do they like most? Because I'm of two minds about it. Well, so I'm just having a quick look at them now. I mean, I think the specialist one, like the they're all no, no, the one that the ridge in the originals. Uh, uh, so the last one, the most one? expensive, most expensive, I think. Rifle. No, I'm I'm really leaning towards rifle like shotgun EM mines. Um, I, I think yeah, EM, EM mines a, are real yeah, are real yeah. tasty. 
Uh, so yeah, played. That's the one I, I meant. Yeah, I played a couple of games with the AP rifle breaker pistols, and mm -hmm. I didn't mind it. But what I kept coming back to was, it's if I am attacking with a bashi bazook, it's probably with the intention of trading it because it's a cheaper regular. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't give up the template. I really need that shotgun. Yeah, yeah. And and like mm -hmm. that's why I'm looking at like the rifle light shotgun and mines has so much utility in that you've got a rifle which has okay range bands. For those close encounters, you've got your light shotgun for a plus six or your template, and you've got mines. If you if you just want to if you want to spend your irregular and you don't have anything else to do, put an EM mine down somewhere. It could it could it could it could really come in handy later on, sort of thing. Um, Defensively, that bashi is also going to be the most useful. Um, if you are not parachuting it, and I like I usually won't. I'm going to pretend that it's one or two or three other things to mess with my opponent. And there's a mm. big difference between an armor two model BS11 with like a pistol or an armor two model with a shotgun and some mines guarding a corner. The yeah. the only mm. the only other one that I might consider would be maybe the SMG chain colt. Um, I know that it's it, it's really you hamstringing yourself on range, but I still think but, SMG yeah. is a great gun having like the different ammo types, and and a chain colt means you're able to intuitive attack as well, which you can't do with a shotgun. Although you shotgun. can do you can yes. you can do it with mines. Uh, not the same effect though. You're not yeah. revealing the enemy template. True. Enemy marker. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I think if you're hoping to like really go deep or some sort of close combat scenario uh, for parachuting, the uh, SMG would shine because you get easier to get up in their face. Cool. Well, we could probably move on to mission number two. Who'd like to you do a little bit of uh, a little bit of reading on uh, on second round for me? What's, oh, uh, what's round number two? Unmasking. More, oh, it's a fun, fun, more than fun mission. Go for it, Jacob. Take more it away. More than happy to talk unmasking. So I'll start the same as you did and talk about uh, the table. So standard deployment of twelve inches. Um, you do have. In this one, an exclusion zone that is eight inches or eight inches from the middle. It's a sixteen-inch uh, wide zone. So essentially, you've got <coughs> from your uh, deployment zone to uh, sixteen uh, inches up. You can deploy if you've got forward deployment or whatever. Cannot go further than that. Um, the uh, big thing to always remember that is that you can't drop in the middle of the game in that exclusion zone either. Mm -hmm. I was alone. Uh, yeah. Uh, so as for the objectives, you've got uh, to kill the enemy designated target, but only if it's uh, been previously revealed. Kill the enemy decoys, but only if they've been previously revealed. Kill more decoys. Uh, kill more enemy decoys, but only if they've been previously revealed. At the end of the game, have the same number of activated consoles as the, as as the adversary. At the end of the game, have more activated consoles than the adversary. At the end of the game, have your designated target not killed. Yeah, so um, as, an no, as an overview of what you're trying to achieve here, right? You've got, each player has got three HVTs yes. on the table and you need to go push a button and try and reveal those HVTs and then kill them. One of them's the the, the proper target, the other two are decoys, and that's where those, those points come from, yeah. comparing decoys versus the designated target. So this does have retreat. Uh, I'll get to the um, I'll get to the console in a second. It's nothing really different. Different. The main main thing is the uh, subterfuge, which is like I said, def uh, deploy three HVTs. 
with the normal rules for HVTs, so not, in, not <clears throat> inside or on top of buildings, um, four inches out of your deployment zone. So they're an okay way of marking the edge of the um, exclusion zone if you need to mark that. Um, and you decide your designated target, uh, if I remember, at the end of your deployment zone. We'll talk about that in a second. It's, it's, when you it's when you deploy. When you, when you put them down, you, you've already determined which one is the, is the, the real one. So, so yeah, it says, this choice is made by each player during the deployment phase, which means yeah, it can during... be the very last... Yeah, but it can be the very last thing you do after you've put down your very last dude, because the end of your deployment phase is still part of your deployment phase. Yeah, fair enough. I'll pay that. Those are the reserves, I guess. Yeah, there's no reason not to... Uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, so you activate the consoles as per usual. There is the hacker bonus for this, so plus three, two dice. Um, when you uh, touch one of the consoles, you then pick one of the models, um, and your opponent needs to reveal whether that model is the designated target or a decoy. Uh, as for anything else, there's no the only thing... special, there's no like, there's no sec, there's no Corsair or sec deck. So, um, no special, no no special, special terrain, terrain stuff. or anything yeah. like that. So it's just no, no good old unmasking. Like yeah, so it's just good old unmasking, do the objectives, kill the decoys. Uh, the one thing that I've missed when we played at uh, Brown City Brawl here, um, Jacob, the fact mm. that the consoles can be, uh, when you push them and somebody else push them, they switch over. Um. I this don't know true. if these ones do, do they? they? They do, yeah. That's the only way you can press the same console twice is if your opponent takes it and then you take it back. Huge. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, sure. Huge. That's, that's mm. a real game changer. Um, no, I know I've, so... ta I've talked about my strategy for this on previous episodes when we've covered unmasking, but I'm a big fan of putting all three HVTs right next to each other and then just castling up that entire area and making it very difficult for my opponent to get anywhere near it. Mm. Um, that's, that's generally been my go-to strategy. Um, what, how do you how guys do you find that you guys... works if you're going first versus going second? Well, if I, I, I like doing that if I'm going second, mm. um, because then I'm, I'm able to put things up in ARO and, and really lean into an ablative defense Sure, you've only got um, like that four inches between your deployment zone and the exclusion zone, but you can, if you, depending on what the table looks like and where you've chosen to be your sort of bunker location, you can still put things in there that are going to be able to ARO stuff. If there's like a little nook to put your put put your three dudes in, and you can cover that with deployables, you can cover that with um with with camo camo troopers, all sorts of all sorts of nasty stuff. Um, it's gone all right for me. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the the um, the best way to do it. Um, I I like to do it that way just because it kind of makes my life a bit easier. In that I don't have to worry about thinking about stuff that's happening all over the table. I just have to focus on a certain area, right? You, um, yeah, for sure. Do you have a way that you're inclined to put the the two decoys compared to the HVT, like are the decoys sort of in front body blocking? I know that they technically can't, but, or is it? 
it doesn't it doesn't like when you're doing it that way it doesn't really matter because um if you're like sure your opponent's got to like because there is the school of thought that you can um put if you spread your hvts out make the one that's the the one that is in the most obviously easily defensible place is actually a decoy right um by having them all together, you're not really going leaning into that. Um, that those types of subterfuge. I mean, but, admi- um, admittedly, admittedly, you are forcing your opponent potentially because I feel like maybe I don't know if I played Kev and he did that or something like that. I think oh no, I played you Val and you had two really close to each other. It's you for, you're forcing your opponent to press a bunch of buttons, especially if they. Um, if you've got no indication of which one's the good, like which one's in the clearly defensible place, which you, you might be the one you pick, um, you're forcing your opponent to, if they make the wrong guess, potentially press all three buttons to get like at least the like a high amount of points by killing the designated target. But I don't, Sometimes I don't that think be... that's. The, I think that's the same case regardless of of how of how you've played it. In terms of deploying your HVTs, no. I, what I mean is, if if you've got your HVT like one HVT in an obviously defensible sort of position, and that is is your decoy, which is what I've done sometimes. I suppose it's an argument for not doing that. If you do it the uh, where it's a little less obvious, but yeah, especially the way you're doing it. Yeah, if you think, well, but but I know that he he might make that one a decoy, but. He knows that I know that, so maybe I don't make it a decoy. Maybe I, I do make it the HVT. Then it's the, it's the right all over how, again. How deep? How deep do you go? Right? How many levels right. through that? I, I've poisoned your cup, but I've poisoned my. <laughs> and I've with your cup too. Whose cup is poisoned? Yeah, they're both. Yeah. We unfortunately, we unfortunately don't have a Sicilian here. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. Uh, on, um, on, on on that, like I think the last I don't know half a dozen dozen times I've played on masking, my opponent has just gone, what's the nearest HV2 to the button I've just pressed? That's the one I'm going to shoot. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, mention yeah. That. that is, that is yeah. the biggest takeaway from the more I practice that scenario. Yeah, like I, I, the whole I, thing at the beginning is really just a whole lot it, of shite. It's on the table, right? Because if you, if you spread your HVTs out, all you're doing is putting them closer to each of the buttons. Yeah. And so, it's like killing decoys is still worth points. So if, yeah. if you push a button, it's... ask for the one that's closest to that button you've just pushed, then spend a couple more orders to go over and kill it. doesn't matter what it is. If you achieve that, you've gotten more points, right? Yeah. And that's and that's where you're getting yeah. your tempo from in this mission. And it, and it removes that that kind of psychological impact. Like I remember the first time my someone did it to me, I was like, whoa, look at my devious plan. He'll never figure out which one it is. And he was like, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I'm like, fuck you. Like, so <laughs> just unravel my, by just picking the closest one. And yeah. then I learned my lesson. I've also Wait. found, I've done this in a couple of um, times I've played Unmasking. I have deployed all three of the, um, I, I, I actually, I do this when I deploy all three HPTs in the same place. And I will also sometimes do it if I have deployed them all in like reasonably defensive locations. Just roll a fucking D3. I'm like to determine for myself which one is real. Don't leave the choice up to me because every time I try and do that, it's the like, 
devious plans within devious plans and i get <laughs> one step ahead and my opponent just picks the one that's nearest to the objective they just unlocked it's and like, kills my real target <laughs> i think i think really the only only thing that you should always do with these decoys is like just don't have it so that somebody can like from their dz see it with a sniper rifle or a hmg yeah, that's really the only like thing i would say ha you have to do is make sure you don't do that so ha have all of them so that they can't be seen from the deployment zone right every hp yeah, yeah or just 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 like like impossible. just really long range where you know so you've got a good gunfighter that can press a button and shoot sorry rob what was that I was just agreeing, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. like every now and again, you'll see someone do the thing where they like put one HVT in a super obvious, this couldn't possibly be real location. And when they do that, I'll kill it and get the free point. Thanks. Yeah. Exactly right. Like, um, ha, -ha, you, ha ha, you guessed it. It's not, it's not my designated target. Uh, okay. I don't know if it's been discussed yet, because obviously I'm coming in and out of the chat. So apologies for, for this, about if it's already been answered. But um, table setup, is that a consideration for unmasking? Like I mean, yeah. I, know, I know you can't sell every table, but it you know when you rock up to a table and you're like, there's nowhere I can put three HVTs that they're not just with hanging out with their dicks in the wind. I mean, I might I might look at the table and go if I get this side, I might put my dudes there, and if I go get this side, I put my dudes there. I don't think I think about it that much because ultimately it's down to who wins the dice roll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just mean like when when people are setting up a table. Like, I don't know who's doing the the scrutineering of the tables. But oh. it's somebody like um, you realize that HVTs have to be deployed on ground level, and all these buildings prevent HVTs from being deployed anywhere near the sixteen inch line. Is that like? Is that are you going to be looking after that, Rob, or is it anyone um, doing? Well me probably not because i'll be playing but it is something that the tos will do and my i wouldn't be surprised if, if players have any concerns about a table and they just flag it with the tos um you know worst worst the to can say is not right now but most likely they'll go and have a look um i know in previous like in previous cancons there have been cases where you know the occasional very extreme table was actually taken out of rotation um for one reason or another <clears throat> um you know at nova core i saw a couple tables get adjusted either the night of Stuff like that. TOs want people to have a good time. Um, yeah. When setting up tables, it'll mostly be down to the players, and players tend to have very different opinions <laughs> if mm. they think mm. about it at all. Whether or not, like some, I've seen tables where it's intentionally really difficult to hide your HGTs. I've seen tables where it's very easy on one side but very hard on the other, and I've seen tables where the players have totally misinterpreted how certain terrain is meant to be played, um, and you know, all plans are out the window by the person who set the table up. So, <clears throat> yeah. Talk to your what about first or second in this mission? What do you guys think? I, I'd like I'd like to go first if I could. But with the right army, especially if you've got counterintelligence, get the buttons pressed, make your guesses. Alright, maybe have some defense on the buttons to make it more difficult for your opponent. I do think this is a mission where where deployment is important, not so much for going first or second, but just for choosing a table side that you want to have easier access to the buttons and the ability to deploy your HVTs in defensible positions. Um, but that's often not, you often don't get both of those. Like sometimes you'll be able to get to the buttons, but then your opponent's HVTs are on the other side of, the, of a building. Um, and, and, and so I guess you've just got to figure out like which, what, which of these do you value the most? And with the exclusion zone, it can make getting to the buttons tricky. Um, so I think I, I tend to look at 
at that side of things. And I, but I know it's also bitten me in the arse before because I remember playing a game of unmasking where I was like, oh sweet, this side's so good for um, hiding my HVTs behind. And then we set up and I was playing against an Onyx player, right, with the Unidron plasma sniper, and I'm like, oh hang on, I gave him the sniper nest. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and like, yeah, right. getting to my buttons was like nigh on impossible. But my HVTs are really easy, like really hard to kill. But they didn't help me win the game. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's interesting. I mean, these are... Okay. These sort of considerations is what makes this mission line up like really good is is the fact that it's not like like Firefight and Frontline when really the consideration of what the table looks like isn't super important. Right here, it's, you know, when you're deciding on sides or how how to deploy or what have you, it's, you know... What can I stop? Like that's I think I think it's it's one of the top five it's one of the top five missions played mm-hmm. every year for ITS for a reason. Because it's it's well balanced, it makes you think the table the table's really important, Probably. your deployment of the HVTs is really important, uh it's just a really good mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bob? Yes. You had something to say on Alski in terms of oh, going first yeah, no, just in terms of going first or second. Um, I find for this one, it's actually down to the faction that I'm playing with almost as much as against. Um, so, like with acquisition, I mentioned if I'm playing against, like it's balanced both ways. If I'm playing against nomads or a good go first, like if there's going to be a Sujan, whatever, I'll probably pick based on turn order, based on not getting reamed if I think my opponent can ream me. With unmasking, because it's a very hacker centric mission. If I am playing a list that's designed for Infowar dominance, I will snap pick first because I'll have a list that is designed to kill all of my opponent's hackers on the first turn. Um, and if you do that in unmasking, the game is just unbelievably hard for your opponent. Yeah. If I'm not yeah, trying right. to do that and I've got like a more balanced list, I'm trying to do a couple of different things, it's maybe a, a, a list that is designed for a couple of different scenarios. Um, deployment, like the table side can be really significant. There's an exclusion zone, so alpha strikes are a little harder, just a little. Um, I typically play vanilla factions, so I'm not with a huge, like some, but not massive midfield presence. It doesn't impact my defenses too much. Um, Like if I'm playing Hacker Slam, for example, it's, you know, Ghazi Metalia jammers. Um, I don't need, an exclusion zone helps me defend. And if there's a spicy table side that's like easy to get to the buttons, easier to defend the HVTs. Um, being able to do a run on the last turn to make a kill and suiciding your things to do it is way more attractive as a go second option um, if yeah. you've gotten a good table side in the process. And you can also um, determine the balance of the buttons in the middle on the, if you're going second as well. Yeah, That's right. There's, there's points difficult. on the line for that. Yeah, and I've, 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 and I've done that before where um, I played uh, unmasking, went first, and, uh, or it may have been just, just one with uh, pressing buttons, um, but very similar. <clears throat> I think it was, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, mind wipe. But very similar where I saw my opponent had this, yeah, uh, had the O12, um, what's the, what's the killer raptor? Had the, the killer hacker raptor. So I went, okay, um, I'm going to press the button closer to that raptor. Um, admittedly, uh, this was in my life, and sit there and make sure that that um, that raptor has the hardest time getting out of his deployment. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Because right. you, you you identified that as the piece that's probably going to go and do his objective. Yeah. 
Cool. Do All we right. have any any final thoughts on unmasking before we want to move on to round three and see what's uh, what's up on there? I, I wanted to point out just one other thing is that um and I is that mines still ha their, their blast radius is still eight and a half inches, so they still can reach the objective even from the um with the exclusion zone. So if you've got a bunch of mine layers, they're still going to be able to cover and make it Something. more difficult That's, to get that get, depends get entirely on how big the objectives are and usually yeah. they're large enough like a silhouette well, yeah, but they, for example yeah but they can stop that like that push continuously forwards having having a plan to defend your hvts and deployment zone in unmasking is super useful pieces like a hacking network jammers your own mine like mines to defend your hvts if you're doing like a hvt nest like nick said um, having a plan for defense in this scenario when you've got assets that are so important, super relevant. Mm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's move on to supplies then. Round three, final mission of day one. Um, we're on 12-inch deployment zones again. And um, yeah, these objectives has, have not been touched all day. Three objective uh, points along the center line of the table. Um, it's almost like that was intentional um <laughs> in the uh in the decision to put these uh to put this line up <clears throat> but supplies is i mean supplies is one of the, the classic infinity missions right um you've got the three boxes along the middle you're trying to open them up take the stuff inside and keep it so um at the end of the game control supply box is two objective points uh for each supply box at the end of the game, control more supply boxes than your opponent for one point. And at the end of the game, uh, your adversary does not control any supply boxes, gets you one, another point, and then two classified objectives as well. Uh, we've got low gravity zones again. So you, uh, terrain, to terrain total and terrain zero G are getting super jump. Uh, Doctor and paramedic bonuses, so plus three whip rolls for doctors and paramedics to open the boxes, uh, as well as double rolls, which is great. Um, and then your sec debt. So this is the first time we've seen a sec debt in um, in the CanCon lineup. So your uh, your CSU uh, you get for free, which is cool. Uh, and then we've also got Intel Intelcom card. Uh, counter espionage mm. so when the game ends and the players count their points each classified objective fulfilled by a player that has a symbol with like the plus or like the is that a plus sign it's it's it's, a, it's, it's essentially like the, any any medical doctor yeah, objectives yeah. counteract yeah. forward observer objective. will cancel a classified objective fulfilled by the opponent that has the target symbol on it um okay so i think it's any of the i think it's any of the um the designation ones I know, I know this is a bit out of order, but I, I absolutely despise Intelcom counter-espionage mm -hmm. in all of these missions. People forget about them. In, I, I hate it. Yeah, this this one especially, because no one ever remembers it. And it's also a feel-bad for the one time that you remember it, and you're like, hey, what classified did you accomplish? Oh, that one? Fuck you, you don't get that point. It's just like, oh, really? Oh, dude, really? Oh. Has, it, it just, has it ever come up like, for anybody? Yeah. It's not, not that common, but it matters in supplies, but it matters a lot in capture and protect. Oh, or, no. What is the one? What's the one with the engineer? No no HVT engineer looting and sabotaging? Looting one of those. Yeah, uh, I know capture and protect has no um, 
Including team. and sabotaging but, them. Are you, talking, are, you very... talking, are you talking about the one that has Armored Fury for... Um, yeah, uh, so in looting and... Yeah, it's most, and most commonly contentious in that one where if you do an Engineer scenario, Engineer Classified, you get one extra point, and it's super common for both players to successfully destroy the objectives in that one. So it just tends to be to the decider. Oh, I see. Right, yeah. yeah. But at least at least in that case, like, you probably, you know, it's, an, it's doing the Engineer one, you get an extra point. Um, I suppose it sucks if you can't do half of it. You don't like, draw it, yeah. You, or if you're playing Toha or a faction that doesn't really get the ability to do many of the engineer ones, but um, it's a low impact rule in in supplies. Yeah, but I, I can mm. I, I know that this one I, I don't mind that one so much. Still, still um, hide it. Considering that still still hide it. Considering yeah. that predator exists, but yeah, this one, yeah, just just being like, fuck you, I did a doctor thing. You ha you drew two the two designation things get stuffed. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've never picked an objective based on Intelcom. Yeah. I, I you just pick based on the ones that you can re realistically do with the army yeah. that you've got. Exactly. I, I feel like I feel like it would almost be great if these Intel Com ones stopped people from taking because the the problem with this one is you're already gonna be taking the doctors and the paramedics. It'd be more interesting if the symbols were flipped so that you might take a forward observer instead of just having doctors and paramedics. Anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, we, I mean, we can, yeah, we, there's no point talking about some sort of dream state that we want to create into the game when we're just talking about how the missions are working for the yeah, yeah. tournament. So, um, supplies, what do we, what do we think? What's, how's it going to, how's it going to go? I, I, I think anyone, <laughs> anyone, you hate it, Kev. We all talk about I hate supplies, supplies as well. Uh, I, I hate it. Supplies, I mean, I'm asking, I fucking suck at both those missions. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I hate it because I'm, I suck at it, not because it's a bad mission. But, I really you, like but, you, play but ISS, you play ISS and get a Sofitec. Super uh, quick. Uh, high, high, super quick, uh, high. With, sorry? No, no, no. We've got good units for it. People have, like, it just, I just suck at it. I just don't know yeah, how yeah. to. I don't know oh, how it's to. It's one of my worst, worst scenarios. I mean, yeah, if I, if, I, if, I, mean, if I go playing nervous. Ariadna. I don't know what it is. Like I'm just I'm constantly too many too many occasions where someone's just walked on an AD Spitfire and turned three and just gone blap. I'm going ah, oh, damn it! I forgot that it was a thing. <laughs> but admittedly, that was in N three uh, when it was a bit easier to hide AD. I might not have had that problem in N four. Yeah. Really tough I mean, mission. I, really tough mission. So all they got to do I, is I, just I, knock knock the guy knock it out of the guy's hands who's holding it, and you, you like you. you it, you hold it for three turns, and all they have to do is just knock it out of your hand, and you're like, motherfucker. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th I think, I don't think supplies have really changed since its inception. It's all no, about... it well has the, the scoring changed significantly. I think, oh, last... no, no, I, I, I'm no, no, I'm sure the scoring, changed, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's all about going and grabbing those boxes. So, um, speed and it's speed and smoke are pretty much king, um, in this. Yeah mission and this is the one of the few ones where if like you're playing ariadna and you've got your 19 point bike that you can oh, run so up grab, like run up grab it pull it back and then Easy spend mode. the rest of your turn doing something else um Negative. yeah like, like, <laughs> favorite well, rule guess favorite rule yeah no. you may as well <laughs> you may as well just go first grab the uh, like grab an objective um, and then try and lock down the other ones, and then just do the same thing the next turn. 
Yeah, obviously your opponent's going to be. Yeah, obviously if you're playing against Ariadne or somewhere like that, you can you're going to expect them to just throw smoke and run with the motorbike. So you have to be pretty quick at disabling that or at least making that difficult with either mines or MSV. Um, but yeah, some factions are definitely very good at getting the objectives or or making it hard for the opponent to get objectives. So I know it's it's it's, it's a great scenario. Uh, yeah, I think it's it, a, it cool is it is good. I think it really does it, it brings in to play a lot of um choices list list choices um because you kind of want to if you do go first you kind of you want to be able to grab a box but you also want to be able to at least push your opponent or keep your opponent boxed into the deployment zone if you can and if you can grab two supply boxes that's even better but often you don't have enough mobility enough orders enough like uh, guns to be able to do that in turn one but there are some armies especially those armies with specialist bikes and access to smoke on those bikes as well um, can can do it, um, and it's it's amazing um, how how much work like five orders in combat group two when you've got a, a specialist motorcycle can accomplish. It's yeah. scary because then you've still got like eight orders to go and persecute an, an alpha strike or or at least you know take a few orders off your opponent. Um, but not every army is capable of doing that. I've no, I've noticed in my my games are playing supplies. Uh, that's what I've noticed. Yeah. Bob, any hot takes? Any first? I, uh, I think first what Kev just mentioned is a good take. Um, I don't have a particularly firm opinion on whether to go first or second in this one. I think it could go either way. Mm. Um, but I do okay. think you want to have a plan for if you are going to go first. If you're going second in supplies, you're pretty much just re reacting to exploit whatever your opponent does. Um, and because it's because going first in supplies is a huge opportunity, but hugely risky. Where if you don't touch the objectives at all, then mm. and you just attack your opponent and they defend successfully. Oh, then for the rest so. of the game, all they got to do is just grab a little. They just got to take a little bit back from you, um, get a box, maybe one box back to the deployment zone. You are you're accruing a debt basically. Every box that you don't grab is something you got to account for later on with your order budget. But at the same time, if you don't if you don't step on your neck of your opponent <clears throat> on the first turn, if you're going first, then your opponent if you if you just grab boxes then your opponent's role to like exploit what you've done is like, cool, they have just survived a first turn in Infinity having taken no damage. That's the golden state. They're going to come and fuck you up over the next three turns. Oh, yeah. um, and they will take those boxes off of your body. So um, Kev's approach I really like is if you're going to build for this with a plan, they're like sort of probably the best general turn one plan is build a combat group two that can comfortably steal a box. Because that yeah, frees, up, at least one. frees up combat group, frees up combat group one to attack and pin your opponent in into whatever it is you need to do. Um, probably my favorite overall piece for box stealing is Doctor Worm with a Wormbot, um, mm. because he can both. He's both super good at grabbing them, and he's fast, and he's cheap. And the Wormbots can pick once he's opened a box. The Wormbots can grab the boxes from him, so he can feasibly get two boxes back in one run, if that makes sense. Um, and get them back at least to your deployment where you can then hold the things and, and fight over them. But yeah, that's... Okay. Sorry, I, sorry, I, I just had thought, can the can the motorized 111 in, like, let's say, uh, what's, what's the... Uh, one Cosmo? Dash out or Cosmo. Or dash out at least they can, they can have little uh, server bots, servant bots and, yep. and do that as well, which is quite nice, that's especially true. with smoke and it's eight for yeah. move. Um, yeah, yeah, I I, th I personally the only th oh sorry Jake go. No, no, no. 
How do you do that? Is it's a short skill to pick a box up off of a trooper that is carrying it. So like mm. a friendly can open the box and then as a short skill, you can take that box from them. Um, and so if you, for example, you have a doctor with a servant bot, you can move the doctor up alongside the servant bot, crack the box, and then as another skill, first short skill move, second short skill, servant bot pick the pick the box up from the doctor. They have to have crossed paths, obviously, but yeah, totally doable. I, I suppose the, the only thing to be, especially when we're talking about going first, is to be careful on deciding. Let's say let's say you do what Kev is suggesting. Your second group successful manages to get a box. You got to be uh, uh, um, aware that. If you try and open up a second box and your attack, like let's say you do it as you're attacking, your attack doesn't go well, that every box you open is an is a short order and a potentially risky roll, if they don't have the um, paramedic there, um, yep. that they don't have to make. Anyone can pick up a box. It doesn't have to be the doctor. The doctor just has to get it out of the supply mm. box so as soon as you do that if you're not in a good position to hold it you are better off leaving it in there and at least wasting half an order Waste. yeah so your opponent has to bring a specialist rather than just any troop so what you're saying is if you get it out with your specialist and your specialist has the dick in the wind you've basically done the half the work for the opponent yeah so if if you're if let's say you've done you know like I said, yeah, what Kevin said, said, second group's done its shit, come back, and you're working on your first group, and you're halfway through, just be, like, you got to be aware of the fact that touching and getting that box is probably just not worth your time. Yeah, Better off yeah, yeah. setting up to defend it. Absolutely. If you've got a link team that's on the way to your opponent's deployment zone, for example, probably don't pause to open a box with them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking um, about... The... Oh, sorry. Val? If something? Yeah, 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 no, go on, go on. I was just I was speaking about extracting supply boxes. Something came up recently in a conversation because I was running the Magriba Guard who has baggage and the pilot's got paramedic. So I was trying to do something fun with that, but um, which it still works, but you just got to be uh, mindful that when uh, the, the tag pilot dismounts from the tag, it will take the box with her um, and vice versa. If, you, if the tag pilot gets out to extract the box, Oh, it's obviously on her, and then when she gets back in the Maggie, then um, it's on the tag. But because the tag's got baggage, that she um, the tag can carry two, but of course only the paramedic can carry one because it doesn't have baggage. Um, anyway, the, the point I was going to make was you can still extract a supply box if you're carrying a box. It'll it just, just go on the ground? It just like drops next to you. Hmm. So you can still extract it if you're carrying a box. You just don't automatically pick it up. There's at least my um, reading of the of the rules of um, that skill. Nice. Very nice. Um, Nothing preventing you from... Because it says, um, if the, once this roll is successful, the tech coffin is removed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it says, must be... Oh, yeah, the supply box token must be placed beside it. Um, so it's it says a whip roll to extract and pick up the supply box. So my reading is if you can't pick it up, you still extract it. Yeah, sure. The other sound... way to interpret it, which would be the same thing, is that if you're holding one already and you can only hold one and you successfully open a box to pick it up, you then drop the one you're already carrying, but it's the same ultimate oh. act. Yeah, okay. No, that's actually probably a bit, bit of a smoother way of uh, reading it. Yeah, you just, you just pick one up, drop the other, um, which um, I guess just means 
again, if, if you're going to do Rob's trick with the with the Doctor Worm, Doctor Worm can go all like all the live long day opening all the boxes, and the worms just kind of scatter behind and go whoop, mine, mine. Um, you don't have to be too finickety with it. So with the the Magriba guard example, is she can she can have one, have it, have it on her, extract one, and then go back in the tag, and then the tag just picks up the the second one because it's got baggage and can carry two. If, so. If, yeah. If you do drop it, and this is more of a question out of um, curiosity, um, is it just does it just sort of count like a token, just like a tin bot does that follows it around? When you drop it, do you get to choose where it goes in contact with your model? Because it's not yeah. important for that important for an S two, but for a Maggie, a Maggie's big. It like, doesn't. If you put it, it on the opposite side. So no, no. So 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 just to clarify, the pickup supply box, you don't actually. Um, if it's, oh, let me just remind myself. If you drop the supply box, you are picking it up off the body, not off the token, is my understanding. So it doesn't matter where you put it down. Oh well, yeah. If that's the, if that's because it says in silhouette. Con- but, but if you put it down and walk away, if you put it down, you're not dead. Where does, and what if what if you drop? die? Then you don't have a body. No, uh, no, 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 yeah, no, no. Die, yeah, so if you die, it. Rep- it- it goes where your base was. Right. So then it acts like like transforming into a dog warrior. It just has to be within your base. Um, I, you can, I mean, reading the rules explains the rules, uh, 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 I think, as yeah, well. Uh, we can look, probably look into this um, a little bit, um, or people can look into that one a little bit, because that's more finicky rather it's, than it's the, the, the It's an absolute edge case. So... Um, Take that one off. It's not really absolute edge, edge case. He's right. Like, if you go down, then then do you want to put the, then if it matters, do you put the token around the corner where you've just died? Or do you put it, you know, obviously you want to put it around the corner where you've just fallen down. So if your opponent can, you know, have to spend the extra inch to get around the corner, that's that's why it's important. If it matters where the, where the token goes down. Because the, yeah. the controlling this, um, there, there was a bit in it. There was something in the rules that actually specifically said it. Well, yeah, but um, if it you, must if, only yeah. be able. Yeah, yeah. The supply box, the supply, supply box token must always be kept on the table, even if the model which is carrying it passes to a null state. Um, and then I can't remember. There was something about where it, where it, how it goes down. I'm sure there was something about this in the in the rules. Because yeah, if like the question is, if the Maggie's carrying it, the Maggie's base is this big, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the the token is this big. The Maggie dies. Where within this circle does well, the circle well, if, land? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. That one. That one. If that's the case, if that's the way you uh, put it down, then it would it more than likely it would follow. The rules for tr- like when you transform um, a dog face into a dog uh, warrior, where the bases just have to be within each other. So the the S two base just has to be inside where the S S six appears. Right. Yeah. It so doesn't like, really. Like, they just have to be inside just, each other. There's a diagram for it. It, like it just says. It just uh, says be in silhouette contact with an allied tripper and a normal. So if it's an allied tripper, you have to be in contact with the tripper, obviously, to mm-hmm. pass the box across, not the token. Um, so you can't like you know cheat an inch by putting the token in front of your guy. It has to be in silhouette contact with your allied tripper. So I interpreted that as being also in contact with anything, but being being silhouette contact with an unaccompanied supply box token. So I guess if you're mm-hmm. null state, you're not. 
it's the supply box open is unaccompanied so i guess there's no limitation as to where you can put that supply box token down when you go unconscious or go into a null state so i guess yeah you can just put it wherever it suits you there's nothing stopping you from putting it wherever you want and if, we're, if, if worst comes to worst ask a teo yeah i i, I mean i really really mentioned it because the, the maggie is so massive yeah yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, they, if you put it on the yeah. far side, that two inches can matter. Yeah, exactly. You're you're basically extracting like yeah, you're getting much closer to the other dudes. Um, the only thing I'd say is with this mission is the one thing that if you're going first, I I basically you have to get at least one box. You have to put you have to give yourself some insurance in terms of scoring. The other thing is the two classifieds. You can score two classifieds before the game oh, ends because everything else scores at the end of the game. But the one thing is that you can guarantee points, getting points on the board, is the classifieds. That can quite often be the tiebreaker as well in this mission because often you'll you'll have one box, one, one. they'll have one box, and maybe no one's got the third box, or maybe you've just only had enough orders to kill the the you know the third box carrier and you've you're kind of at a draw and you're like oh fuck what do I do oh secure HVT yay you know um that is and because there's two of them up for grabs it, it could be the difference between a draw and a and a loss or a win and a loss at that point yeah I suppose if, if, yeah. If, if you can manage to attack really well in your first turn but you can manage to do your um like your two classifieds I'd probably say a box and two classifieds is a pretty good first turn even if you don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I'd agree. Agree. yeah. Um, um, Rob, I had a quick question for you regarding this mission. Um, just based off of the fourth fourth bullet point in effects under extract supply boxes, um, it sta it states if a scenery item is used instead of a token, then it can be kept on the game table. Yep. Now I don't think anyone plays it that way, but what's your thoughts on it? Uh, so the, the reason why nobody plays it this way is that you need a marker to represent that a model is carrying the supplies, and the objective <laughs> is almost always that marker, because players don't have with them the token specifically for playing supplies that they then leave them out anyway. Um, I do. So, <laughs> okay. you, are, you are unique. Um, you're almost certainly unique. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons why for this scenario I much prefer 2D. This, this is a scenario where I much prefer 2D markers. Um, because it's just so much more convenient to succeed the role. Cool. Now you're just moving the objective um, with the uh, okay. with the thing. If you are playing, I guess this is advice to players. If you are playing on a scenario with three dimensional objectives, if you're playing on a table with three dimensional objectives, talk to your opponents about how to play that. Because if you both don't have a way to mark who's carrying the box, the only way to do it might be with the three dimensional objective that you're not supposed to move. If you do decide that you're going to pick up the three-dimensional objectives and move them with troopers. For God's sake, don't pretend that they provide cover once you've... <laughs> I have heard this before. Yeah, you're yeah, like, you realize it's supposed to be a 25mm flat disc. But sure. Wait, I would just say that if I hadn't seen it. Has, yeah, it wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that somebody has said that the token that they're cutting around with them no, provides great. cover. Yes, I have seen that. That's yeah. Right. yeah. That's, that's, I've seen that. Who the that's, fuck said that? Amber is closer to New South Wales than... I care, I care, I care, I care. I'll give a great... I'm I'm gonna, I'll give new play, play a grace. The game is hard. 
We're not gonna. Okay. We're not gonna dox people on this podcast. So calm down, Jake. We're not gonna dox. No, no. I, I thought. I thought. I thought it was like an argument where I've like, never seen like, someone uh, play it for uh, advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen someone play it for advantage, but I've seen someone be like, "How the fuck do we do this? Oh, this way, I guess." And then I walked over to the table and was like, "Oh no, 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 no. What's cover? What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought um, I thought it was like a forum argument of no, no, like no, American, no. Americans or something. That's no, there, the reason why I ask is like again, it is a bit of a nuclear question because um, people have in the past played supplies where they've you know they've say there's been an air like they've, we typically play 3D objectives here in Melbourne. We've got heaps of them and we mark them all as being S3. Um, it's nice and easy. Everyone understands S3, and uh, it's it, and they look good on the table. But when you come to play supplies, we've had players in the past who have, you know, who have snuck up to this objective. They've been prone. Everything's going well, and then they pick up the box, and then that's when they realise that it gets taken away. And then their next order, they're standing in front of a fully linked sniper rifle, going, oh, "I didn't, I didn't know that thing disappeared." But this this bullet point here does state you can keep it, but. I don't think anyone's ever done it that way. I would just leave it. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I would say if it's practical too, I would encourage players yeah. to follow that. I mean, role. yeah, I mean, look, if, 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 if Kev, if you're playing the, the game and you say you say your opponent, hey, I've okay. actually got markers for the supplies, so if you roll, no, 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 I'll no, give no, you no, the mark. Right, I can't hear what Rob said. Did he say leave it or take it away? If they're if there's three dimensional objectives and the players can play with some other way of marking um, possession of supply boxes, yeah, leave the objectives there per the rules. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it just says it, it it can be. So I think, um, I guess it's just have a conversation with your opponent before the start yeah. of the game. But I just would assume that the majority of players who play this mission have always just removed it from the table. That this was a bullet point. I think I've never noticed before. Um, and it was only after somebody com like somebody queried about does it get removed or not, and I'm like, yeah, it gets removed. And then I read the rules. And I was like, actually. It doesn't have to be removed. That's interesting, and I just didn't know if anyone else had had that um, situation come up because it, it does like change how the game is played. Like if you if you take the supply box out of the the thingo and it doesn't go away, then you're not having to deal with the arrow piece that's staring at you. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you're behind yeah. the box, you can't see it. If in if in doubt, if in doubt, you can always ask the TO. And also, mm. speaking as someone who like runs tournaments locally, if I've got access to three-dimensional objectives, how I set up the table will be with one of those two outcomes in mind. So if, if like, as a context clue, for example, if I have placed a bunch of scatter around some of the objectives, I'm probably in expecting that the players will need to remove them. So there is other scatter there to facilitate play in that part of the table. If there's not, if the objective is like this big, tall console thing that is obviously part of the table, players can figure it out from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So talk talk to your opponent, but don't assume that it, you know it goes away. But yeah, fight, figure it out before the start of the game. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Uh, well, we could probably move on around four then, unless there was the any worst final case scenario, Yeah, just to jump in. Sorry. The worst case scenario is one is one where you don't talk to your opponent about it, have different understandings, Absolutely. and then. Yeah. Yeah. 60 minutes into the game, someone is like, that needs to be removed. And the other person is like, no, it explicitly doesn't. And you have to call a TO because someone's plan has been rooted. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and especially that, that, that little can statement can really make that situation pro yeah. Yeah. crop up. Which, which, no, which, which means at the start, before you start the game, yeah. you have to say to your opponent, hey, these things that are on the table, when we open them, are we taking them off or not? That yeah. has you just have you to leave it to the, the player. 
Yeah, you can only you can let the players decide as they do it. So if you if you open it, but you can choose no, to leave it. As no, they, no, 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 absolutely no, 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 no. What do you mean? No, you can't choose the way you want to do it at the time that you're doing it. You have to make a ruling before the game starts, which way it's going to go. Before you and one of the rulings can be that you and your opponent can agree to that whoever Yeah, I disagree. I disagree. I would advise against that, but if you can find an opponent who agrees to it, fill your boots. Are you saying... Are you saying, like, as in, like, Aval, are you saying that, like, at the beginning of the game, you could, like, you just let it go on a game-by-game -game basis, but at the beginning of the game? Or when they or, actually or, press or the button? Or are you, you saying let's, that... Let's it, just move on it, to supremacy. It's not really all that important. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Let's, let's move on. Um, supremacy. Supremacy. Um, supremacy is uh, another classic game of infinity that i'm sure we've all we've all played many times 12 inch deployment zones and then the the mid zone between the two deployment zones is broken up into four quadrants in the center of each of those quadrants is a console so your basically your objective is to hold push those four buttons or up to three of them for points and then also to hold those quadrants uh each round to get to get points for, for holding those quadrants so um in terms of the specifics on the uh, on the points there at the end of each game round dominate more quadrants than the than the opponent is two objective points at the end of the game round dominate the same number of quadrants as the uh, adversary is one objective point but only if at least one quadrant is dominated by each player at the end of the game have a hacked console one objective point for each console up to a maximum of three objective points and there's one classified objective so Counter to acquisition, which we spoke about before, where it's scored at the end of the game, supremacy is scored each round, apart from the or for the for the uh, for the domination. The uh, what's it called? The consoles are scored at the end of the game, but um, but the but the domination component each round, which is which is which is big. Um, yeah, baggage as well is an important rule to factor in for this one because it adds an additional 20 uh, VP for the dominating uh, the, the zone that you're in and um, is there a hacker bonus as well yeah hacker bonus uh, no gravity zones again man you, you're hamming up these no gravity zones CanCon um, so oh wait no this no, is a different just one this not is a different one this is the sorry I've made I've made the, cl the classic the blunder of mixing up no gravity with low gravity sorry um <laughs> uh, so no gravity zone is where if you've got terrain total or terrain zero g or super jump you get plus one inch to your first movement value um yeah. only during the move skill kev <laughs> I, want, I, I wanted to point that one out just for you kev um thank you it's, it's, that shouldn't be there, but I guess it's there to stop you from. I don't know. I don't know why they added that bit in there because it wasn't there for last season. I'm not quite. I guess they just wanted to screw over super jump, but then they made it better. So I guess it uh, doesn't matter. And then we've got the uh, the security security detachment sec debt CSU for free, uh, which is cool. And uh, oh look, Intel Com card provisions. The classified objective symbol with something gives one extra objective bonus. Globe. point with the globe but only if you have less than 10 so there's some objectives uh, some classifieds are worth two for some reason 
They tend, those um, ones tend to be the, I think, the hacking, the ones that are hacking ones. Uh, I yeah. think the only one, the only one that it crosses with like a different one is, I think, mapping, which can be done just, by Forward Observer. Just on, um, just on zero gravity. Happy to be corrected on this, but when it says only during a move skill, I believe that is referring to skills with the movement tag, which includes climbing plus, and is just sort of like I think that's meant to be a guys don't apply this during dodges and guts rolls, but on the other hand, it mentions their move value, so I don't know how else you would apply it. I don't know. Yeah, it's because it's like an M move with a capital M, which is a move skill, mm. which in obviously move um, climbing oh, yeah, plus. No, fair enough. Yeah, but and, 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 and a, I don't. It says it's a move skill, uh, not skills with the movement tag. Oh yeah, no move. Move is a defined skill. Disregard. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't work on super. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, which is kind of what, yeah. why people are like, but you've you've made you've made the season good for super jumpers, but they can't use it, which is sad. But hey ho. It, it should say the move skill, but I would prefer that. Yes, that would have been better. Better terminology. I mean, I mean yeah. You could argue because it says ah oh, move skill and but uh, no because it's movements the tag isn't it yeah it's yeah, move, move yeah, versus yes. movement tag move yeah. skill no you're right yeah. yeah 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 um cool what do, okay what, what, do, what do we think first off are we going first we going second I'm going second if I can second mm -hmm. I will I never voluntarily choose to go second but this is a scenario that I will almost always pick deployment in if given oh. the option. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this one. Not that big brain. So hard. This yeah. one's so hard to go first. Jesus. Especially Christ. on, especially on um, day, the first game of day two. Yeah. You're yeah. probably not quite awake yet either. How would you go first in this mission if you had to? You just rampage, push all three buttons, and then. Uh, and I will. Make sure I will make an attack up. that carries um, heavy assets into my opponent's half of the table. And attempts to really? pin them into the deployment zone while following up with a couple of like super light pieces into yeah. my if, if, two if, zones. If you can stick a Turn whole one. bunch of points into the two quadrants that are just outside of their deployment zone, then sure, you, you might not necessarily be scoring because mm. I mean, like, yeah, it's it's gonna make it hard for them to to get those if you've got a heap of I points think, in there straight up. I don't I don't love doing it, uh, but if I you have to, if you're going first, it's the way to play it. I think, with factions anyway. Yeah, I, okay, fair enough. I think, the, and this is the problem I have with this one, and uh, is quad, oh, anyway, quadra control. control if it's scored the same at the end of is the end round yeah. ones oh. with control, yeah, so just this one is if you've got a competent opponent, it's going to be difficult to really push into their deployment zone without the risk of them running around and grabbing your deployment zones. If I feel like if I go first in this, I'm just going to give up the two, uh, the one point or two points for having more deployment zones in the first turn. Mm. Mm. Play it safe. Uh, and yeah, it's only one. It's only one. Um, you, you, you get two for dominating more. You get one yeah. for dominating the same amount. So I think yeah. this mission often plays out as a bit of a delicate dance for the first two yeah, rounds. Yeah, it really does. Either of you can get the upper hand, you both get one point in turn one, you both mm -hmm. get one point in turn two, and then turn three is when someone's bloodied enough that they can't they can't hold both zones, or yeah. they go for an overreach, and then that's where you often capitalize, and then it's down to who's gotten the most cat consoles. That's how it's often been played, at least when I played it, um, especially against yeah. good 
An important thing to remember though, as well, is when you are pushing forwards is don't forget about the zones that are just outside your deployment zone. Like yeah. you don't want to throw everything forward to at the yeah. detriment of, of holding your own half of the table sides, which, which I know I've definitely done. And it's ended up that, that I've not had enough points in like the, I've been in the front, um, like the, mm -hmm. the advanced left Your quadrant, opponent, but, but I've uh, taken yeah. the the rear right quadrant quadrant, and then like with like no orders left in my pool, I'm like, oh shit, I've moved everything out of my exactly. one of my own quadrants yeah. to advance. Um, yeah, and kind of shot yeah. myself yeah. in the foot. Yeah, if. If you overspend on your alpha strike and then you you realize too late and you only like leave one model in like a either your your zones, it makes it really easy for the bonus simply to take that model out, take that zone away from you, and that and then all of a sudden they're in real strong control of how the zones are designated at the end of the turn. If you are planning on either going f either it's your plan or it's your backup to go first and push aggressively in in supremacy. Um, one of the things I would think is, is important for army mix is good, hard AROs, because if you are aggressively attacking up close and can deploy with pieces that bracket your opponent, at that point, provided you don't, if you just, you know, if you crack your knuckles attacking them, you've lost the game. Um, but, you know, nature of the beast. But if you are in a position where you do damage, hem them in close, and hem them in at range, that's the point at which, assuming that you've you've inflicted you know three or four troopers worth of casualties onto your opponent, um, or more ideally, that's the point at which if they are if they have to spend the orders to lay smoke or white noise or cautious move or engage hard uh, arrow yeah, pieces yeah. and deal with the things you put up close. I've had games not with every faction. You cannot do it like with Hackerslam, very very difficult. Um, with combined army depends on your list. Um, with Toha, surprisingly doable because you can sort of just deploy pieces like Nichols and anything with a symbiomate as an ARO element. Um, yeah. It's surprisingly easy to end up with like just one piece that your opponent couldn't kill and can't contest in one of their quadrants. Say an anathematic is a perfect case. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. I mean, Very nice. si si sitting in camo um, is this is one of the Huge. few where I, I mean, I, I I've, I've never done it because I'm a big bitch baby boy but um infiltrating and trying to put some points early like in the deployment phase oh, into over, over yeah yeah, yeah roll exactly. the dice. um or i mean I, I mean i suppose at the very least get on the line if you can like if there's a building that's cut in half and you can go over into theirs oh. is always, always worth it to force your opponent who's going second to stay back and keep points back. But I don't think every time I've gone first in this mission, I think every single time I've probably gone, I'll hopefully once they're out of their big defensive position in their deployment zone, I can um, crack whatever they've got um, uh, turn two. And then hopefully turn two, I'll get that two points and then turn three, um, I'll get the two points because it's snowballed from there. But I think I would always plan to just touch my... Like, if I'm going first, I might, would plan to touch the two buttons, secure my zone, and if everything went really well or you see a really obvious weakness in your opponent, then maybe try and take one of their zones and leave a little less than one of yours. That's actually... There's yeah. some interesting stuff that I want to... Can I just touch on for a second? Yeah, go um, Really good point about having pieces that can start in zones. Any yeah. any piece that you've got, if you're list building for supremacy, any piece you have 
that alleviates the need to move troops into a zone is just mm -hmm. super you're just you're just banking that value right even if it's just like an infiltrating grunt or whatever something that you guarantees you have some points in a zone because it is super easy if you haven't built a list for supremacy to have a situation where you just forgot you just didn't have enough orders to move one piece yeah. into one zone and you're down two points um because yeah. if your opponent only has to score their two zones to score two points because you haven't contested one of yours oh, you're yeah. so far behind um yeah. the second thing is um actually just generally i don't disagree with that as an approach um supremacy going first is one of the hardest scenarios to major um i think it's very you can if you're if you're a good player playing against you know an opponent that may be a little bit better than or you're lucky or whatever going first with supremacy i think you're in a good position to score a minor but it's really hard to major and yeah. if you want to major the only way to do it is to play super aggressively because um, and you're gambling a lot if you do that, right? So if you if your uh -huh. if your approach is fuck this, no, I'm going to win first and try and major second, a conservative mm -hmm. first turn is totally fine. Exactly, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because that 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 approach of going hard into your opponents, uh, hard over the halfway line and make your opponent deal with it, is the fact that you can win or lose the game in turn one effectively. Uh, because if yeah. if you don't do enough damage or you don't set up your pieces that you've carried over into their zones well enough that the opponent has deals with them quickly, or in real strife. Yeah, any big alpha strike carries with it the risk of overextending, losing pieces, and losing the game. And I, mm -hmm. I think I think this is one scenario where if I had it, if if I, if you're playing the right faction, if you've got a good like really strong. Um, and potentially really expensive uh, combat drop troop that you can put in their deployment zone and use it to mess them up. Um, yeah. I, 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 I do it. I mean, I can't think of one off the top. What's a good heavy infantry you can drop in? I mean, I, I think... Oh, I think that Actually, this... one, of, uh, one of Nick's favourites, uh, Tiger Soldier. Sure, yeah. yeah. I've been using a drop troop to swing two points, even sacrificing a drop troop to swing uh, a end of round to in your favor as if you're going second i think it's almost worth it yeah i think um, that the list building for this mission shares a lot with supplies right you you want you want forward deploying specialists right for button pushing and dominating and also picking up the box and supplies you also might value ad because it allows you to walk on um, and dominate a zone from an area that they weren't expecting, but also utilize um, an AD trooper to put down a box carrier. Um, and and uh, as Rob said, like if you've got access to even just cheap forward deploying elements, um, vanilla armies have like Libertos, except for Pano, sorry, and uh, Krakots, which all start outside, outside your DZ. They're not worth much, but they're points in the zone that you don't need to spend orders on. And they and they all work for um for supplies. So, um and I think what else like probably uh, acquisition I guess. But um yeah, that's the sort of things I'd be valuing. And like you say, yeah, a drop trip's great. And even if it's an expensive one, even better. And I one other thing because we were sort of talking about Hak Islam um, before, just reminded me is that um, maybe potentially a bit counterintuitively. Um, Impersonation. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. Impersonation. Uh, not only worth, like, obviously taking, I mean, impersonation is always worth taking, but in the case of a speculo, we normally they're kind of, you know, you throw them at a really high value piece, they die, 
you go off and do something else. Um, they're probably worth, in this case, keeping them alive and just having them sit on a rooftop. They're valuable for throwing smoke to allow your guys to move up, and they're pretty expensive. I mean, what's, it's, what's, it's the, the, expensive, what's it's, the... It's the expensive part that's important there because you can yeah. put, like a decent chunk of points in one of your opponent's side halves if it's an impersonation. So it's really hard to kill if, if you don't reveal it yourself. If it's in a difficult spot to take uh, or to, to, to get to, that's even, that's even better. And then, so mm -hmm. it kind of forces your opponent's hand to, to counter that somehow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can put almost like 90 that. points in a zone. Yeah, if you're yeah, nuts, yeah, exactly. you can do what is it? I mean, yeah, I mean that's, points, how, yeah, that's what I was doing um, when I played Shaz. If I was playing Supremacy and I, you know, ended up going second, I was like, well, cool. I've got two speculos. Um, now them aren't going to be able to do much on the first turn because I'm not going first. So put two of them in one zone, and now your opponent has to deal with them or put or re readjust where they're putting their stuff to to outpoint that like you know, like you say like seventy odd or. 60s almost 70 points yeah and it's and it's and it's potentially to be potentially six orders to get rid of two of them oh yeah yeah it's an absolute order sink for them on turn one and um and it's just a a, a good insurance um against getting or not getting not, not not insurance but yeah it just makes your opponent's life a little bit harder so impersonation in this mission's really good for days Jan Star, the Keytown Imposters. They're not as expensive as a Speculo, but like putting, you know, having having like 25 plus points in a zone that your opponent, that you have done nothing, like you've not spent any orders in that thing, and your opponent now has to spend orders to outpoint it is really, is really, really good. Especially if your opponent is going first and is going for the strong alpha, they now have to consider that they've got a 30 point model in their zone that they have to make sure that they put a baggage bot in there. Plus, like a, you know, a, a MOOC, um, in order to make sure that they hold it. Yeah. Honestly, I think that would shut down anyone who wants to do like a really aggressive push, take my opponent's um, sides, because that's so many points sitting in your zone. You you just you I mean, can't consider, push out. Yeah, but at the same time, you have sixty points less when defending your 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 troops. Yeah, it's just a, it's a consideration that is um, that can play that can pay. They can pay off. As Vastii yeah. generally are in nightmare to play against in this scenario. <laughs> Two speculos, good camouflage troops, and then the whole bloody army has to be killed all the way to dead to stop scoring points. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So frustrating. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. If you want to win supremacy, pay shows Vastii. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts then, Rob, on, on supremacy before we move on to round five? Uh, for this one, no. Um, I think we've covered... We've covered the gist. Perfect. So, actually, I had one more. Sorry, just about oh, this yes, one. Deck. Oh, Kev, go. Deck. Just about the sec deck. I, asked, it's I, didn't, ask, I didn't ask you, Kev. Ask Rob. No. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> no go. Just about the poor sec deck because we mentioned them in the last in the last mission there, oh, but yeah. like that that is you can just pretty carefree spend its free spend its own order just to walk into your zone. It's not as expensive as their normal CSUs. I think they're what like thirteen points. That's none. That's not. That's not bad. The you most know, expensive even just eleven. Eleven, right? Okay, so it's eleven points you can just spend its own order on to walk into a zone or to put into suppressive fire, which makes your opponent's life just a little bit harder, and you don't really care if it dies. So it's it's good. It's good in this mission to have. I mean, it's worth um, it just to have the eleven points in a zone. 
So we it, mentioned with Bashi Bazooks, there was a bit of a choice between which profiles to take. I think with the CSU, it's always break a combi. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what yeah. I was just about to say, right? There's, there's, <laughs> there's one profile here that we want, which is the break a combi rifle, nano plus, plus one burst. It's the most expensive one as well, which is, I mean, most expensive, not saying much. It's 11, worth 11 points, but you get it from free. And um, none of the other ones really have anything on them that, is drawing my eyes away from that profile. Nick, you nope. could choose to voluntarily trade your breaker combi rifle for a breaker rifle. I could and <laughs> lose my plus three from zero to eight. Um, that's that's back, the back, ultimate back big, two, big brain play. What's that? <laughs> I think back in N2, you could turn a breaker combi off with a jammer. I think that was a thing, right? In N2, well, yeah, okay, that's before my time. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was why rifles were there because they couldn't be turned off by um, hacking and jamming. Oh Jesus! Okay. Oh, that's... Yeah. 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 Different time. Let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. This is. Let's, <laughs> let's not. Let's not start reflecting on on N two um, nostalgia, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a cool little rule, though. <laughs> no, like that one. Don't. Don't. <laughs> um, all, right, all right. Cool. Well, look, round five, cryogenics. I had, I even, I know so little about this mission that I hadn't even said the name correctly until just now. Um, I'm, <laughs> well done. I'm, I'm, I was calling it cryogenetics, um, which is not correct, but someone else is going to have to go through this one because like I said before, I've still yet to, uh, to my shame, I'm still yet to play this mission uh, and I don't know how it works. So somebody oh, else, take Rob, it away. Rob, 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 you want to take it Rob? away? Singers? Yeah, all right. Um, okay, table set up. Just like Supremacy, there are four um, objectives. These are tech coffins. Over the course of the game, you will be activating these tech coffins. Unlike Supremacy, each player can only activate each once. Um, and once they are activated, they are removed. When you remove a tech coffin, you roll a dice to see if it contains your contains a HVT. Uh, I want to say it's a 13 to 20. It contains a HVT. Maybe it's a 14 to 20. Consult the scenario. Um, otherwise, most of the time, it does not. Um, once you are so the first one that you open uh, that has a HVT in it is your HVT. The second one that you open is your opponent's HVT. You can only place two HVTs. <laughs> Does this sound complicated? It is. Um, you are I mean, trying to press just, these... Just before you go into it any further, right? Yeah. My main takeaway, just looking at the ITS document, every single mission is two pages. Cryogenics is three full pages. Yep. So, mm. so there's, a lot, there's a lot going on here. So just to... There are four, there are four consoles with HVTs inside them. And as you open those consoles, they disappear and HVTs appear. The ones that you open first are less likely to have HVTs in them, but they could. So there's an element of randomness. Once the Starting HVTs is... appear, they set the conditions for scoring later in the game. There is also two objective points for having activated two or more tech coffins, which means that if you press three, you lock your opponent out of those points, but obviously you've had to have spent the orders to have pressed three. So that's part one. Part two is you have to elect a Master Breacher. Over all three rounds of the game, you are attempting to dominate quadrants with have a dominant Master Breacher, which means have a Master Breacher in a quadrant that you are dominating. 
This is totally disconnected to the entire rest of the mission. There are four quadrants, just like in Supremacy, and you want to have your master breacher in the one one of them, close to your deployment zone usually, that you are dominating from turn one onwards. Three objective points that way, it's really easy to miss or forget. That's going to often decide the game. Get your master breacher into a safe place in a quadrant that you can control. Finally, at the end of the game, you are interested in only those quadrants that have HVTs. You are at that point trying to dominate each of those two quadrants. There can only be two because there's only two HVTs, and there might only be one because some fuckhead could pick up a HVT and move it into the same quadrant as another one. <laughs> in which case, there are fewer points on the line. If you can't dominate, and this is the biggest point of confusion typically, if you don't dominate those quadrants, then for each quadrant that you don't dominate, you can score consolation prizes by threatening the HVT in that quadrant. You threaten a HVT by being in its zone of control with an extra point for threatening with your master breacher. Remembering that your master breacher probably has to be sitting in a in a zone somewhere, scoring points because they're worth points in zones until they're very end of the game. So part one, opening those consoles. Part two, scoring with your master breacher throughout the course of the game. And then part three, the rush for the HVTs at the very end. In addition, there's two there's one classified objective. I think in the cutout that Nick's got, it says it's worth two objective points. I would need to do math on whether that's the case. You can only score 10 in this scenario. Yeah, um, it's worth, I think they've corrected that. Yeah, that might be an older document. So it's two points for more tech coffins up to five points for dominating with HVT the entire game, up to nine points for the two HVT quadrants at the end of the game. Yeah, one one classified objective worth one point. It's a typo in our show notes. Yeah, <gasps> yeah. I correct the document, but I think, I think if you check the forums, there's been, there's a, yes. there's a mess with LOEs well, or something like that. Classified worth one. So, sorry, yeah. I've got the ITS document open. It does say two objective points. Is that... And then it's, it's wrong. Okay. It's wrong. Yeah, okay. it's, it's definitely just... Um, okay. Um, thanks for running us through that, Rob. That was, that was a really great job. I still have no idea what the fuck's going on. Um, it's, it's one of those missions where if you're playing it to a new player and they're getting confused, you, but you know how to play it, you're sitting there going, no, 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 no. It makes sense. You just have to play it a couple of times. I feel like it's the kind of mission where if your opponent's getting confused, you just got to go over and give it a hug, give them a hug because you're having a hard time as well. We're both confused. (laughs) This is this is a little bit of the of an indictment on its design. I I like this scenario having played it, but I would mm. say it makes sense the second or third time you play it, which right. is not ideal. So so the, the biggest takeaway that our listeners can get is if you want to play this mission, make sure you've had a few goes at it before yeah. you turn up. Yeah, right? absolutely. It, it, it is weird because I mean, this is about about the mission where it seems really complicated, and it is, um, but. Once you actually get a handle of it, for whatever reason, it's a really fun scenario. I don't know why. Yeah, it's a great scenario. Yeah, I mean, it can be complicated and fun at the same time. Um, just, there's just a lot of levers to pull on this mission, which I think is something that people in the community have been calling for for a bit, like just having missions which have multiple to win. Um, and I think this this mission, to me, gives people um, lots of options between between the dominant master breacher from how you push the buttons and where the HVTs pop out to threatening them um, or, or to dominating them. There's, there's lots of ways to get points. I mean, you're, it's not necessarily going to win, but it's games I've played have quite often been very close. Um, they've been like 6-4 or 6-5 uh, or something like that. So uh, from that point of view, it's a fun mission because it often feels quite close, um, providing you're not getting curb stomped on turn one. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, uh, I think a bit of commentary on this one is within a week of this scenario being released alongside the pack, I think I saw four or five different people online each with absolute certainty claim they had cracked the code and had the single best way to play the mission, and each of them had wildly different opinions on what that was. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that's that's interesting. I really like that from that, that, that point of view. Well, if anyone ever played... it's good that it's good that they're all different. So obviously, none of them have cracked the code. Yeah. So the if, mission. If, 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 if anyone, if anyone plays me and doesn't like the way I play it, blame Kev because I just followed what he. Yeah, did, the, so. the, what I heard at the beginning of how to play this mission the best was to first turn push three of the buttons. Um, because by pushing three of the buttons, you are um, revealing at least one of the HVTs and locking your opponent out of two points, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, which, I, I don't know, like, it seems like, it's like, you know, it's like talking about supplies. If you're going to spend your entire first turn pushing three buttons, then what else are you doing? Um, but I guess it depends on the faction. Uh, I don't know if that's still how people look at this mission, but um, that was how it was communicated to me at the start. Yeah, I don't mind that as an approach, but it is super all-in. Because if you press, if you spend all of that effort spending two buttons and going for a third, and your opponent or the dice stall you out on that third yep. objective, and mm. you have potentially spent your entire first turn not killing your opponent, and and setting them up for control potentially over where the HVTs are, like it's it's a it's a risky but interesting play. It's not necessarily the single best way to play it in every scenario. Yeah, would, because um, like to, for, for context of people about the scoring again, it's at the end of the game have activated two or more tech coffins. So if you activate two, then you get two points. If you activate three, you still get two points. But the difference is if you activate three, your opponent can't activate two, so therefore they're locked out of two, um, which is it's, which is a you know, good thing to start off the game with, right? But like, like you say, Rob, yeah, if you don't get that done, then you could be in a bit of strife. I do think... Um, oh, sorry, go. I was just I was just gonna say around the master breaches. Uh, do you guys want to have a discussion around what you what sort of models you'd pick for a master breacher? And I guess the follow up was how uh, how important would you guys place the assassination of your opponent's master breacher in the way of mm -hmm. post mission? Mm. Uh, well, I, I mean, and I take a go. It all. I mean, it always depends on. Of what the opponent's master breacher is. I mean, it can it be a tag. Yes. So it, it, what, it, it, let's see the way it can't be. So what it can't be is it cannot be a um, a marker. So it, can, it has to be always on the game table. It also cannot be a regular, and it cannot be a remote. So it can be a tag, um, but it has to be on the table, and it can't be under a marker state, which is important. I mean, look. If I think if I th if I think I can kill it and not spend like. A ridiculous amount of points on it, sure. But if someone rocks up and says, "Hey, here's my avatar. Here's my master breacher," I might consider concentrating on other things and killing him if I have the opportunity, and le less so than focusing on it. But I mean, if you can do it, you you what you can take out oh, man, three points. Almost, oh, three no, points almost all, three points is huge. Potentially because you, you, you can take. Yeah. Oh yeah. You get the end of the game two. And so, one every time. So when so I first time I played, first time I played Cryogenics, I looked at the bonuses and I gave Terrain Zero G and D charges to an Asawira. and that felt super cool and also was the wrong thing to do. The more I've played the scenario, the more I'm of the opinion that the most important thing a Master Breacher needs to do is inconspicuously survive in a zone for three rounds. 
um, which means they need to be tough enough to be difficult, tough enough to be annoying to kill, but cheap enough that you don't want to go after them with tons of resources if like if it's avoidable. So something like a tag, tags are hard to hide, can be possessed. Um, yes. It's worth your time killing a tag, but maybe the tag is your best choice in a list. Um, something like it's it's hard to find in some factions. A really good, good master. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. Yeah, a relatively effective two wound model, perhaps. Can, can you give some examples um, of things that you think would be good in factions that you do play, Rob? So in Toha, I haven't minded making a tack wheel officer my master breacher because it can defend itself in zone of control because it's got it can both smoke and attack in zone of control when things coming yeah. after it. If it's the LT, it can move into the zone by itself and it's frustratingly difficult to kill and has regeneration. Um, in combined army, I'm honestly still not sure. Um, let me actually. Is that, like, because I don't want to make it like my anathematic starts in Marker State. I probably, in my anathematic Toronted list, I would make it the Toronted. Because um, it can get into a zone and it doesn't want to be on Overwatch. It wants to be hunkered down and it's hard to kill. Is, 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 the, is the Toronted your. Toronted L. Yeah, Toronted HMG LT anathematic is by itself. Um, yeah. In. I suppose at least then you've got the anathematic distracting. Yeah, you, people usually have to pick one, um, yeah. and you're trying to pin them in with hacking, not with yeah. ARO's and with warbands. Um, in hackers, hackerslam is where I've had the hardest time, um, because in hackerslam, a lot of the pieces that I would comfortably leave in one of those close zones are like single wound pieces. Like I've had a Hassison buried at one point just because. It, after we deployed, most of my opponent's force was in one place, and like I was spread a little bit more out, and I figured I could just leave this Bereed in a zone for three turns, and that ended up being true. Um, but in other cases, like a Mukhtar starts in a zone and can hang out there, but then I don't want a Mukhtar to be passive the entire game. Um, mm. The second that you start aggressively taking gunfights with your Master Breacher, you, and if you like, you you just it's so difficult to risk doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. In O12, sorry, in um, uh, Vanilla Aleph, sorry, um, the the cheapest for deploying post human is an easy pick. Back in his own, oh. even there the entire time. I mean, I, I, yeah, I was thinking either him the... or if you've got the like the doctor, uh, the doctor ha hacker engineer one, because then you can yeah. just so you can just slap bots with it. <laughs> um, it can still do its job, be safe. It's got no winding cap and mimetism, I think. The other so. super big brain play in combined army, now that I'm thinking about it, is I haven't done this yet, but I did mean to do it, is if you airdrop an Imatron into a zone in a really hard to reach place, mm. I might genuinely make my Imatron a data in a, a master break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, our Imatron's rams. I don't believe so. I don't think no, I think they're not. Right. I, think, I think you're right. Light I think they're light infantry. Or equipment or some yep, shit. It's, uh, sure. light, light infantry support troop. Jeez. Yeah, there you uh, go. Uh, okay. Yeah, having, right, I'll give it. Yeah. Having uh, your Master Breacher as a HMG platform that doesn't need to push out of your zone to gunfight, I think, well, like you said with the Corinthians, I think that's a legit pick. Um, the most factions get didn't have a lieutenant order to move into a zone with, I'd be much more reluctant to pick it. Um, but mm. it's also, it's unlike most lieutenant, tough lieutenant pieces, it's low risk. Because if, it if it does die, it's not going to die easy. It's very hard to kill. Exactly. And I'm not, it, it just jumped, you know, it may not make us into something. Just, I don't yeah. lose everything. Exactly. What, what, exactly just, right. going, just going to back to, uh, to Huck Islam, what about the, and I know it's squishy, um, but you can get some use of it more than just sitting in a zone. What about the NCO Gulam? Play Salad a lot, so NCO is not a useful skill. 
but otherwise yes. Oh yeah, okay, yes, yeah, gotcha. Uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think, because I, I think for like, I think for like Ariadna, because a lot of your really good pieces, like survivable pieces, are also sort of your attack pieces. You don't want to leave them behind. You might have to do that sort of. It's just a dude in the back. Um, might be a good reason to take uh, what's his face, uh, Veronin. Between uh, he's, yeah, he's, too, he's quite control. big though. He's quite big. He's well, quite you do, well yeah, but he's he's going to be purely there to hide on a rooftop. And, just an infiltrating uh, grunt on a rooftop, prone, fucking yeah, done. That's nice. <laughs> um, yeah, with, that's between cryogenics, between cryogenics and uh, supplies, with missions kind of reward you having an assassin pace, which can either. Uh, go after the enemy's uh, box carrier, or I guess in this case, go after their master breacher. From a list design perspective, that's something I've just kind of clued on to. Um, that mm-hmm. might be worth considering. Is, it, what, okay. oh, here, here's, an, here's an interesting um, thought then. Uh, on For this list or this mission, would you be more inclined to take a list that you would be using for supplies or the one for supremacy? Supplies. Yeah. Supplies, why? Specialist bonuses. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because this one's got the same specialist bonuses. And it's really important that you get that, that you are efficient with opening those tech coffins. Because yeah. you yeah. have to cover so much ground. Yeah, especially yeah. If, you, if you're trying to do a lot of them in the first turn, uh, then you really want to lean on those bonuses, right? Mm. I just I just want to get back because I, I just had, had a thought of um, Ariadna Master Breacher, the... Um, and a or, or the bear pod controller. So oh, the controller. Control. Oh, I would. Oh, I would be super. Real. I get it. I get it. But it's such a high value, low toughness piece. Yeah. But if, but if you, like, I, I know, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But but if you're, um, if you're, um, especially if you go first, you could shove the dogs or the bear pod in their face, and then they're going to take. It's the same thing as like well, your anathematic. The bear pod controller is just a six-point light infantry. You don't ever really—it doesn't do yeah. anything. It's not special. Um, yeah. Whereas the the um, antipode controller has tack aware and controls the dogs as peripherals, so okay. she can get oh, herself into the zone. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. But a, oh, a regular okay. a regular I, bear I is a valid master breacher choice. And by the way, giving those things decharges is not a bad call. Ooh, actually, yeah. And often that yeah, that regular quite often just it does kind of tend to sit as a bit of a, a, a backup piece. It doesn't it's not there necessarily to mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's often the irregular bear that goes off and does the killing and the regular one kinda sits mm-hmm. back and guards corners and eats things in the midfield if it gets the opportunity. Yep, and maybe attacks late in the game and it's I think it's yeah. a reasonable compromise. Mm. Um, I, I've actually seen that I've seen that used once and if I hadn't been like basically I got very lucky to pin it back. Uh, this is a scenario just to rear the specter of guided missiles briefly where that kind of capability right the ability to signal one thing out and destroy it is very useful if it's an assassin Ooh, piece yeah. if it's a missile strike and like just good luck killing a bear pod efficiently with missiles mm. yeah very they, good they, point they, they got the what they got total immune don't they total immunity dodge on 16s armor five and your opponent if they need to if it's late in the game can just late in the turn can just elect not to use doggered and their fizz 16 for a paramedic to bring back mm. yeah and then and they can just shrug off the first one. They just go, I'll reset on the first yep. time you hit me. Yep, reset on nine. You stay targeted nine. when you are conscious? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you just bomb their body one more time. Like, a um, bear might just tar- shrug oh. five missiles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you get defensive turrets in this as well, by the way. Yeah. Not, uh, do you? Little... 
Yeah, defense starts. Oh bit, yeah, also page three. Shit, we forgot we didn't we didn't keep scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also the fourth health, scenario yeah. with a bonus for terrain, right? Uh, uh, yes, you get no yeah, gravity zone. movement scale, yeah. Possible movement, yeah. Same yeah, this is the only one with the F-13 turret. I do love the F-13 turret. Uh, now with extra length, it's now F-2 in this season. So bear that in mind, yeah. folks. For those of I had a game the other week where he was like, I hate these turrets because they're only S-1. They can never see over these parapets that I've got on my table. I'm like, aha, they're now S-2. Oh, and he was like, can. my goodness. Yeah. Back, back, back on that Ooh. fair pode as the... Um, wait, yeah, as, as the Master Breacher, it gets uh, zero G, so it's faster. Yeah. True. True. Um, yeah, you're right. I used so my Shen as a Master Breacher in this one. He was my Lieutenant and Master Breacher. It was just like putting all your eggs in the one basket. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't great. Like if someone like plays he was, an, he's great, obviously. Yeah. Someone plays an Avatar in the scenario and they name it as the Master Breacher, you're basically, the game is, can you kill an Avatar? And actually, <laughs> these days, without remote presence on the Avatar, so you can't re-roll engineering rolls, that becomes literally the whole game, is you just try and <laughs> damage the Avatar to death over the course of the game. Oh, yeah. uh, Kev asked this question I think a while ago just when we were talking about this scenario is if you do go first do what order do you want to press the buttons or the, the tech coffins in because obviously it's your oh, it's not it's not you don't have a huge chance to get uh, or you get a decent chance but not a huge chance or it's less likely that you'll get your HVT with the first two buttons yeah so the, the, potential, potentially, you could press your opponent's two buttons. And I, I know you're going to no, disagree. No, don't fucking do it. Yeah. People like that, no. The, it's a um, if you can, yeah, if you can, the best, I would say probably the most optimal way to play the first turn is as part of an attack across towards your opponent's side of the table, press, hmm. press two buttons on your way to the opponent. That yeah. presses one on your side, one on their side, and what it does mean is it puts you in a position where you they now have two buttons they can press in the same situation, and one of them is easy for you to defend. So you can hmm. press two buttons and then focus on defending the one that is close to you and give yourself the best chance at low cost to score those two points that your opponent can't. And it Do you see also sets up, sets up the line the mm -hmm. the the line of uh, wasn't the like the line of scrimmage because mm -hmm. because if you if you do the first one you boop is not and then the second one you boop is and it's both on the same flank then you can kind of you can kind of start to imagine where you might have to go for the for the next two um, you know it's on the other side of the table it's not like you you know now you can kind of yeah you split the, you split the table in half either either way. Um, and then it kind of the next two turns, you kind of know where you might be want to fight, because you don't you don't care about that, that HVT if you reveal one until turn three anyway. Uh, and probably an important thing to go over for this particular mission because it's pretty relevant is Sivavac. Yeah, Sivavacing mm. uh, the HVT because it's... Zone. I haven't done that to be honest. Uh, in this mission, I've I've done that in a lot of other missions, but yeah, I think that's viable. Yeah. Well, I haven't tried it yet, but I think if you have enough orders left to pull off some play by civivacking a civilian, you were probably either it was your last ditch attempt or you were going to win anyway. But it is something you can do. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've seen, I think. They have made it easier to civivac things in this season as well. Have, right? thank God. So. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's been easier. Oh, whatever. No, this, yeah, this, 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 this season. This season. This season. What did they do this season? 
it just it doesn't have a move value it just comes with you oh yes yeah. right yeah 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 yes right yes. Yeah. yeah um i mean look it's like it's worth it if you've got the half order to roll at the plus three um i with i would the... be most likely to consider it if i had gotten ahead on scenario like say i'd opened three buttons and killed my opponent's master breacher early in the game so i had a lead i'd strongly consider it then by just like pulling two hvts into the same quadrant because that reduces the amount of points left on the table and so you're more likely to win yeah yeah and actually that's a, that's such just something about that um rob you just sparked my memory there is um sometimes it's not always a good idea to push all the buttons if if it's turn three and you've only um pushed one button or, or, or if you have, if you know there's one HVT left to reveal, but you can't be convinced, you can't be certain that you're going to dominate it. Don't, don't, don't get out of the out of the box because your opponent might just be able to take that from you anyway. So just reduce the overall objectives that are available and push on, trying to push them off the one that that is revealed. Right. So if it's if it's like turn two and you happen to have a HVT. And like close to you, and it's too hard yaka to go and reveal the other HVT. Just concentrate on dominating that zone. Yeah, well, like, so an example that came up um, in a game against, uh, I think it was Alef or something like that. And they, we, um, there was one on his side of the table, and then the other one we'd already opened all the other three, which meant that the one on my side of the table was definitely there. But it was on the same side of the table as same, yeah flank of the table i guess as the one he just revealed and he had the last turn so i was going to my last turn going oh if i open this box then i can potentially dominate this guy but he's got the last turn so it's every possibility that he'll just dominate it from me and get even more points so i decided not to push the button and try and persecute an attack into his quadrant to try and kill his master breacher uh, it didn't work but in my head, I was like, "Well, the points are not in my favor here, so I might as well try to try to uh, try to attack rather than um, push another button." That's a fair play yeah. to recover the game. Mm. Yeah, because he because he'd already because I pushed one button. Actually, no, I think I pushed two buttons, and he'd only pushed one, so he would have to push this second but this last button in order to get the two points. But because it contained a HVT that I um, wouldn't be able to hold, and he then had to push that button in his last turn, which he couldn't do. So. It's just, yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting the way the scoring goes on this mission. And I think all this sort of thinking is why the scenario, as complicated as it is, has sort of become a favourite, is that it has all these considerations and all these interesting, not necessarily edge cases, that make it just an interesting round to play. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, I think that probably wraps it up in terms of the individual missions to go through. I know we uh, have been going for a little while now, so I don't want to drag on for too much longer. But maybe just do a bit of a, a bit of a circle back to some of the thoughts we had initially. See if anything's changed once we've had taken our deep dive and um, what. Um, oh, here's an a good question that we haven't covered. Looking at the five missions. You're bringing two army lists along. Is there a sp specific way that you guys are splitting these up? For me, personally, I mean, obviously, you've got the ones that have hacker bonuses and the ones that have um, paramedic or doctor bonuses. I think 
those are the main defining points of of the difference in in these missions yeah you've got unmasking which has got the um the the, the exclusion zone but I, don't, I really think um leaning more on on where you're getting your bonuses from is is the best way to approach your your list building in terms of that mm. any any other um, takes on that apart from that well just quickly, because um, Rob, you mentioned playing Toha before. Would you bother taking hackers in this tournament, given that they like the the uh, Toa hackers are not well regarded, are terrible, are hot trash? Um, <laughs> probably not. But the only I'm not I'm not sure about this yet. I'm I'm yeah. not at a point where I've actually got lists that are serious contenders for the event. But the reason why I would probably not is of all of the scenarios that want hackers. One of them is unmasking, and Toha have an advantage in unmasking, provided they can press the buttons. They're the best faction in the game at killing enemy HVTs because they can the, do oh, it trivially, right. trivially through walls. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. I think there's an alternate path for Toha where they don't need the hacker advantage as much. So mm -hmm. I want to, if I, I want to take tack to this, and obviously being Ariadna. The hackers are you know, non-existent. Non non well, yeah, practically non-existent. Um, so for this one, I'd almost do something that... I would try and do something that I've never really had the opportunity to do before, which is um, have two uh, lists that play differently, like an alpha strike list and a really defensive list or something like that. So not build for the mission, but just build build for yeah or uh, i i've heard it before like um like built for the table so a really close in table and a really oh, spread okay. out table that sort of thing yes a viable viable way I, of doing what do you think i'm a bit of a tragic and have been trying to make that approach work for like a year and a half now and i have not quite succeeded but maybe this time i, th I think you're almost forced to with ariadna with these missions because you're going to be taking paramedics and forward observers because they're the only specialists you got anyway. So mm. you've got to find another way of splitting your list, whatever that might be. It just it it's not going to be mission based because, oh, I mean maybe, maybe like you might have one that's I'm going to take it for supremacy. That might be the only thing you consider. Like this is a bit better at holding points. You've actually got. Oh, go. No, no, go ahead, Rob. You've got the similar problem. It's the same problem from the other perspective when you play Combined Army. All of your specialists basically are going to be hackers anyway, except Dr. Worm. So you're you're yeah. drowning in hackers. So what you want to do, oh, my, my preferred approach is to um, build one list for when you have to kill, when you have the option to kill all of your opponent's hackers, and then one list for when you're playing into Ariadna or Toha or maybe Hack Islam. Well, no, they're hacking faction. Yeah. When you're playing into that, because those are viable factions. Yeah, mm. that's another. That's another one I was thinking is, like trying to split up the factions in Infinity and being like, I'm going to take this list for these armies and this list for these armies. My my hot take is you could you could bring one list to all five of these missions and do do and win. Right. I don't I don't Agreed. disagree with that at all. Yeah. 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 There's no there's no clear split. Like sure on the bonuses that's a nice split. But the lists could be exactly the same, and just if you can yeah. swap the hackers out for doctors, like it's yeah. para paramedics. It's not. There's nothing in this five that really makes me go, "Oh, I better remember to take this because it's going to be useful in all all of the missions." And I, I I really like that. It means that I think it makes it more. Yeah, it, I think it makes it more accessible. 
makes it it's not it, like makes it, easy, it makes it easier for a, for a, a more casual player to look at it and say i don't mm -hmm. have to spend weeks and weeks and weeks play testing how and fine tuning these these lists because it yeah. it's it's not that kind of lineup right that, you, that, you 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 kind of did have to do that for say for for example for nova core right yeah. um looking at this lineup for for cancon it's the opposite that's it's why I. That's why I dig this lineup. I, like, yeah. Um. One way that you might choose to split it for a couple of factions, so potentially Ariadna, but especially Nomads, is you might choose to do a four-one split where you have one list for all of the scenarios that don't have exclusion zones and one list for unmasking, because that can really yeah. mess with some factions. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's a good point. Yeah, definitely. Unmasking is the outlier, and that it's the only one with uh, exclusion zone. Yeah. And it's te technically economical because you're not wasting your points on extra deployment that you never get to use. Yep. Um, mm. Another thing to consider, just as a general theme, I don't know if this necessarily impact um, like your list split, but when you're writing your list, you mentioned this before, um, a bunch of the scenarios have got benefits for multi, enough scenarios have got benefits for multi-terrain that you could probably account for it in both of your lists and enough scenarios have a free irregular troop that you can probably account for it in both of your lists. <laughs> Yeah, and actually that on that, I was thinking about this today while I was, uh, well, I was on the toilet. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, "This is this is the first season where I've looked at list. I'm building a list, and I get to fourteen orders, and I'm like, yeah, it seems fine because I've got uh this the the mission I'm playing gets a free CSU. There's a there's a there's an irregular order. I already got sensor bot. There's a there's attack awareness order. I don't feel like I'm I'm um like trying to like obviously getting the 15 orders is still probably optimal but i like how um this this is more of a seasoned discussion but um that i don't feel like i'm being pushed to having 14 orders now whether that means that we see more heavier pieces coming out i don't know but um i guess that leads into my question is about asking is do you does this uh, selection favor tags is the the eternal question that i ask all the time I think this particular lineup, I think, is almost antithetical to tags. Um, there's, so, there's so much for like like ignoring Ariadna and all that. There's so much, especially for the first three. That you want to push up your specialist, and there's so much need for hackers in. Well, there's a need for hackers and acquisition and unmasking. That mm. if you've got a tag, you probably going to have to willingly walk into well potentially walk into just this hacking net that's sitting there right and it's almost by design yeah there's a couple of scenarios where like acquisition acquisition and supremacy are scenarios where you can feel quite comfortable with a tag where they've got specific utility otherwise you're like you're never going to go wrong like you're never ever going to go wrong with a fire support tag right like it's a really big gun it's a super efficient big gun um, you're not hurting yourself by taking one, but uh, am I am I looking at these and being like, oh, I should play a tag faction? No, tags are part of the force mix. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we could um, we could probably see start to wrap it up now. Um, we've, we've been rambling long 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 enough um, about yeah about I want to... about this event. So I mean, just sort of any final thoughts from anyone, Kev? I think you wanted to say something. Oh, it was just uh, about the. Um, do we have, have people who are going? Have they decided on their faction yet? 
Oh, you missed what oh, I, I said. I had I had seven factions I was still deciding between. <laughs> okay then, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, Rob, was there any 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 last things you wanted to talk about then before we before we, we sign off? Uh, just a reminder, registrations are still open. We would love for people to register sooner rather than later if you think you can make it. It guarantees that we have not just space, but ample space um, because, you know, it's a popular convention. Every system is looking for space to run their events. Um, so, I mean, what right. I'm saying here is please but, register yeah. or Age of Sigma will eat us. Age of Sigma will, it will eat everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, get your regos in. You can register. Like, listen, there's an there's an event um, URL that will be in the show notes. But if you just Google CanCon, you will find the site, and from the site, you'll be able to register. Uh, cool. Well, I think we can probably sign off then. Um, does yeah? Does anyone have any final thoughts before just like Val and yourself, Nick? Are you happy with yeah? Nothing else that you want to say? All good. Uh, cool. cool. Well, guys, I've been Nick. I've been Jacob. I've been Val. I've been Kevin. Well, I guess I've been Rob. Yes, you have. <laughs> and thank you so, thank you so much again, Rob, for joining us. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks. And um, yeah, you've been listening to Lost Lieutenant. <laughs>